The GameCubist School podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCubist Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Tristan Pantorado, Wilshire, White Wind Wolf L, Kara Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, Alex Olson, and Pixel Laugh. The GameCube, GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Yeah, Mike. I think that that's a, I think that's a pretty good strategy to win more contests in life. I think that's a good hack. No, it's not a bad hack, Neil. Oh, we're live. We are live. Oh, well, well, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me today. But yeah, I think that I found a pretty good idea there. I'm just gonna enter contests where they don't specify that the contests are only for children, and I'm just gonna win those. You know, I like, think that's the way to do it. Yeah, you know, like when you see like a coloring contest or something, and like they, those very rarely ever say children only. So I'm just gonna start entering those types of contests and uh, and just start claiming all those prizes. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> how will they know? How, no. Like, how, it's it's a good question. Though. Like, how do they vet stuff like that? They don't. This is where I got this idea from is my girlfriend showed me when we were lying in bed. She showed me, like, I, I think it was a Reddit thing, but it was this grown man. He might have been in his 30s, and he won a contest for, like, design the, the community library card. You know how, like, library okay. cards have little designs on them? Yeah. Not knowing that it was a contest for children. So And he won. So it's just a picture of him with, like, all of the runner-up children and their designs, and it's just this grown man with a bunch of five-year-olds. And I was like, this guy's got... <laughs> This guy's got life figured out. It's uh, There's an episode of The Simpsons, too, where Homer, uh, uh, well, uh, his enemy puts him into a contest that is supposed to be for children. But uh, Homer uh, goes in and then creates a great new power plant uh, with uh, uh, with racing stripes on the side. And Mr. Burns gives him first prize. And uh, and uh, Frank Grimes, who's his enemy, is like, oh, like, but it's uh, it was supposed to be a contest for children. And they're like, yeah. And Homer beat their brains out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like, and these contests do not have many terms and conditions. So I think that we could probably, <laughs> probably figure something out. I just, I just miss those coloring contests too. I think that that, I think that'd be a pretty good thing to do though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But Mike, this episode has gone live on a Wednesday. We usually go live on Thursdays. So why the change of days this week? Neil, today is May the 4th. Uh, and of course that is the Star Wars day in uh, the minds of, of many, especially Star Wars fans. Uh, May the 4th, of course, is kind of a pun off of uh, the catchphrase, may the force be with you. So mm. it's may the 4th be with you, Neil. Yep. Yeah, may the 4th and also with you and also with you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's also my brother's birthday too. My, I'm the Star Wars fan of the family, yet I have an older brother who has a birthday <laughs> on May the 4th. I feel like I got, I got shafted a little bit there. I have the Halloween <laughs> birthday though, so I feel like I lucked out with that that's true yeah and i you know i did a little research because i was i was curious like when did this start you know when did people start saying happy may the 4th when did lego start having great sales on uh <laughs> and and uh you know this isn't a plug for lego but also lego if you want to sponsor us oh god i will that take that great. i will take that lego money any day of the week i will move to denmark immediately i'll take so. payment in legos i don't need money just give me lego <laughs> sets that'd be great that's exactly that's why i want to go work for lego in denmark i get 50 percent off it, it'll be great. I have it all planned out. But nice. uh, anyways, uh, so May the 4th was um, originally used to celebrate the release of the original Star Wars movie, which was May 25th. 
1977, which, hey, that makes it 45 years old this year, Neil. That's crazy, uh, dude. That's a little crazy. Uh, and the first time it was ever used was actually uh, when Margaret Thatcher was elected PM in, in England. And an ad in the evening news said, may the fourth be with you, Maggie. Congratulations. Ooh. Wait, sorry. What year was that? That was that. That was in '79. Okay, two years later. So it only took them. They only took one year off, really. But that that kind of makes sense. Like Star Wars, it was a pretty big deal right away. But I guess not big enough that newspapers were jumping in on it yet to make funny puns. And yeah, yeah I guess that was the, the first funny pun. And then we didn't get a full organized celebration of Star Wars Day, as we call it now, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, until 2011, and that was actually at in Toronto. Of oh. all places, Neil. Wow. Which is pretty cool. At the Toronto Underground Cinema. I I don't know where this place is. I've never heard of it. It might not exist anymore. It's so underground. <laughs> and we don't even know where it is. <laughs> exactly. And festivities included an original trilogy trivia game, uh, a costume contest with celebrity judges, and uh, the web's best tribute films, mashup show, a whole bunch of stuff going on, uh, which is pretty cool. And in 2015, on May 4th, astronauts on the space station actually watched uh, Star Wars, which is pretty cool. Wow, that, that's amazing. I love how it's kind of snowballed into this massive thing every May the 4th. And yeah. now, I think Disney's jumped in on it too, where they announce all the all the things that are going to be happening in the next year or so. Uh, it doesn't really matter, because now that we're in May, the only thing that we care about is the new Obi-Wan series coming out in, what, three weeks from the time of this episode? So everything else after that I could really care less about right now. I Just, just everything else in my life in general. Really, right? <laughs> <laughs> really, eh? Like, just, like I'm going to take time off work to watch all of these episodes. Like, we're going to have a ton of fun talking about these episodes. Hopefully we can get together and see one. It's going to be, what, five, six, six weeks or so? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it'll be uh, a good time. And, and of course, tomorrow, uh, if you're listening to this today on May the 4th, tomorrow is Revenge of the 5th. Mm. Or if you're even uh, liking it even more, it could be Revenge of the 6th, oh, yeah, okay. which is, yeah. I guess, yeah, a little closer to Revenge of the Sith. Makes so. sense. Makes yeah. sense. I don't know how many more of these days they're going to come up with. Are there any that we're missing right now? <laughs> Let's see. There's the Phantom Minute, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker. I'm not. And none of them so, work as well as, as May the 4th and Revenge of the 6th. No, so. no, not really. And, you know, we also have to have uh, Cinco de Mayo in there too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it goes May the 4th, Cinco de Mayo, Revenge of the 6th. That's awesome. The ultimate, the trilogy of, uh, of holidays. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the trilogy I that want. That is. Now. We have a lot to talk about with Star Wars today, Mike. So let's jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 95 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 423 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And with a little help from C-3PO and R2-D2. Nice. C-3PO does the language translations for your website, I'm assuming. Localization, yes. Localization, that's the one. Last week, we talked about The Legend of Zelda, Four Swords Adventures. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're celebrating all of the Star Wars games that we have on the GameCube. We've already talked, of course, about Rogue Squadron 2 on Episode 1, and we loved it so much that we talked about it again on Episode 50. So if you haven't already, go back to Episode 50 and check out our conversation on that one, because we urge you never to download Episode (laughs) 1. That's right. Just like the real Star Wars. Oh, 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 well, we'll get into that soon. Attention listeners, are you ready to be blown away like Rito in the Moss Eisley Cantina? You asked for it, and they listened. Our friends at Manscaped just relaunched the Ultra Smooth Package. It's back, baby. Your new favorite tool and complement to the Lawnmower 4.0 to keep your boys smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. 
It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots with a discount just for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com using the promo code GAMECUBE. The legends who introduced the electric ball hair trimmer are bringing back their razor so you can be set and trimmed front to back. Men, you no longer have to borrow your lady's razor for that precise trim. I'm not as hairy as a Wookiee, but I am as tall as one, and I know that using the wrong razor can result in accidents in those hard-to-reach places, and I don't have a back-to-tank to fix my balls after a quick trim before I go out for a night on the town. The Crop Shaver is not your average razor. It's smaller, thicker, with a micro comb bar that allows for the best shave possible from any angle. Beach balls are meant to be smooth, and now yours can be too. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands without compromise. It's time to get up close and personal with the best tools for the job, the Ultra Smooth Package from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping using the promo code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. Smooth out your fellas with the relaunched Ultra Smooth Package from the fellas at Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Now, back to the show. Ooh, yeah, soon enough, Mike. Hold hold your horses there. So before we start talking about the six games that we have today, we're going to have a really deep dive conversation about Star Wars, probably for the next... 45 minutes or so. So listeners, sit back, you know, relax, grab yourself a, a nice can of Fruitopia or whatever it is, and uh, maybe some blue milk, if you will, because we're going to dive back into the movies, the video games, and the other media, like the books and the TV shows and all the things that we uh, we loved as kids. So uh, Mike, I guess uh, starting with uh, our memories around Star Wars, shall we uh, talk about the movies first? Of course. I mean, I, that's kind of where it all started, right? 1977, the original Star Wars movie. It's uh, always kind of complicated to talk about the first Star Wars movie because it's mm. like, well, what do you mean first? Like, you mean Phantom nah. Menace? It's like, no, I actually mean New Hope. It's like, well, what's a New Hope? This is the conversation I have with my mom because <laughs> she, when I say episode four, then I'm like, no, that will not work for her. And if I say New Hope, I'm like, no, that won't work either. So yeah. I have to just say Star Wars. If I just say Star Wars, the Star Wars movie, then she knows it's New Hope. Yeah, because that's what that's what the title was at first. It was the our par- our parents' generation, especially the parents who didn't really continue to watch it after 1983. They don't know like that the the prequels. They know the prequels came out, but they don't realize that they're they're prequels. Like they just think that they're episode four, five, and six, and that their trilogy that came out in the seventies and eighties are one, two, and three. It's a very strange numbering system that George Lucas had. He had this idea all along. It's yeah. just like like the many things that Nintendo do that are hard to market. This is one of those things that was incredibly hard to market, especially because it took twenty five years from start to finish, basically, to do the entire thing. Uh, very interesting move for sure. Yeah, and he he even had the sequels uh, in mind too. That was actually the original mm-hmm. plan to do the sequel trilogy, uh, but he kind of had he had lost interest in Star Wars in a bit, especially after eighty three. There's right. a whole history on that. You can look up kind of why Star Wars is how it is and and how it all kind of uh, started in the in between era of between eighty three and ninety nine. A lot of it was to do with CGI. He really just was waiting until yeah. we had better computer graphics. And, uh, I mean, we did get better computer graphics, but now when you look at it, especially watching some of the early episodes, it's like, oh, it's like these mm. uh, these graphics are you know way improved nowadays. But, yeah. yeah, my first memories of the franchise probably go all the way back to 1999. Uh, I was six years old, and my dad took me and my friends, uh, with all the other dads, of course, uh, to go see <laughs> Phantom Menace in theaters. And I remember being just, you know, absolutely blown away at what I was seeing. It, it was mm. it was probably my first real movie in theaters. 
Okay. Like Pokemon doesn't count. I saw the Pokemon <laughs> movie, but uh, uh, that probably the first real blockbuster movie I saw. And I remember me and my friends talking about the movie for hours and hours afterwards, and mm-hmm. and of course trying to recreate the scenes in our backyard or in school, like playing on the playgrounds. Yep. And whoever has the biggest stick is is Darth Maul, basically. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and you know, it was funny because my dad had very little interest in Star Wars, and he kind of just took me because uh, of mm. everyone else was going. But my mom actually really liked Star Wars, the first two, and her family, especially one of my my uncles, uh, both my uncles, I guess, were really big fans. And uh, one of my uncles had a lot of Star Wars memorabilia mm. in his basement, and I remember he also had Star Wars Risk which is actually oh, yeah. how I learned how to play Risk. And uh, and he kind of he taught me about the whole lore with Star Wars, everything, how it began. So I learned a lot from him. And that got me really, really into it. And I think later he was probably the one who got me the original trilogy widescreen uh, gold box DVD. You, okay. uh, listeners might know the one, but it's uh, you see it everywhere. There's a gold one. There's a silver one. Right. And it's kind of the, the original poster with Luke putting the lightsaber up above his head with uh, kind of Leia draped over him and Darth Vader in the background. Uh, and I was I remember getting that DVD box and watching those movies constantly. Now, there's a lot of different box sets from Star Wars over the last 30 or last 45 years, I guess. Yeah. Now, that box set, do you know how different it is from the original trilogy? Can you spot the differences? Like, I I have a different VHS set to you, so do you know what the differences are there? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Like, I, uh, this this was the first time George Lucas had actually gone in and revised a bunch of stuff. So okay. the box set that you have, that VHS box set, I believe from, like, 98, like, right before... The Phantom S came out. I think that's the last one that doesn't have revised graphics or anything. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's like the original trilogy as it was seen in theaters. Yeah, my version is the 1995 VHS box set. Yeah, 1995 was the last one that I I was I tried to do a lot of research on this because it is confusing which ones are like the pure way to see it. And I believe 1995's VHS set is the last one. The only thing that they remastered or changed in this one is that they updated the the visuals and the sound, the sound effects. They didn't add any CG scenes or like uh, the extra Jabba the Hut scene or anything. Like they didn't add random extra Banthas and Tauntauns or anything to the scenes. It's just the original trilogy as it's supposed to be just upgraded visuals and uh, audio effects. So mm-hmm. that's the set that I have and we still have it to this day. Yeah. Uh, we got it back in probably 1995, 1996. I didn't watch the original trilogy until maybe 1998, I think. I definitely saw them all pre-Phantom Menace because we had this set. I have an older brother. He showed them to me and I fell in love with them instantly. Sure. Uh, I have I have pictures of me being, I think I was five years old, uh, Halloween, age five. I was Darth Vader uh, for Halloween that year. So yeah, we, we were both Darth <laughs> Vader at some point. That's my only Star Wars costume, I think, in the last 28 years, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, that, that, that did lead very well into 1999 with The Phantom Menace, where we were both, what, five, six years old when that movie came out. And my parents did not take me to see any of the Star Wars films in theaters. It was your dad, Mike, that took us to see Episode Three when mm-hmm. that one finally came out. But I, I saw Phantom Menace for the first time in, in my parents' basement on a VHS tape. We must have either rented it from Blockbuster or we got it as a gift or something. But I remember watching it and I loved it. Like as a kid, you know, a six-year-old, five-year-old kid at, at this time, like it, it's a it's a great kids movie, really. And that's yeah. At the end of the day, I always try and check myself and remember that most Star Wars things are for children under the age of ten. George Lucas has said that in in, in interviews that it's it's not it's it's a kids movie. Like he he finds it funny how many adults get butt hurt over certain <laughs> things that happen in the Star Wars universe. But 
uh, yeah, like same as you, we would reenact scenes of the movies on playgrounds. We had our own toy lightsabers that we played with until they snapped, and then we'd ask yep. our parents for new ones. That's an obvious thing that most kids do to this day. Uh, we got some really good lightsaber toys too back in the day too, like ones that actually hurt and like could whack baseballs and not and not break. <laughs> yeah. Like they had, they had some really harsh ones there. Those ones didn't light up. They were just basically really hard, what PVC plastic or something that you used to pipe your house with. But they were, <laughs> my God, they were amazing. So yeah, so another thing too is uh one of the things i got really hooked on was the lego side of star wars and i think that's really what got me even more into into the uh the franchise because i was lucky enough to get quite a few lego sets as a kid Mm -hmm. and you know star wars toys plus the movies just makes you fall in love that much quicker uh, especially building these things like it was so much fun to build them especially with the little characters i still have my qui-gon jinn i still have uh obi-wan i still have luke i still have all my little lego guys with their with their lightsabers and i of course would have little fights with them you know while i'm <laughs> bringing over the the land speeder to to like knock one out even though qui-gon <laughs> is not in <laughs> those movies right, right. <laughs> but i had like that lego was a huge part of the star wars love for me for sure and now you know recently i've tried to get back into it a little more uh, mm-hmm. because i kind of forgot how much i love lego in general and uh the fact that i can yeah. try and find some of these old star wars legos that i built and then as well as buy new ones and build them i just very recently neil i bought a the dagobah set that just came out oh wow uh which has uh has kind of the x-wing poking out of uh the ground it's got uh, yoda's hut and everything i don't oh. have a yoda little lego yoda so that was one of the reasons i wanted to get that yeah, come to think of it, I can't remember ever seeing a Yoda figurine, a Lego Yoda fitter, figurine. Cause, no, because like, how would they do the ears? Like, mo- most Lego characters don't have ears, but Yoda has to. So I guess that they'll probably do more like a a current day Lego set where he does have ears. Like the old Lego sets, basically, you're still dealing with yellow characters. Nowadays, I think that they've gotten a little bit more, uh, a little bit more multicultural with their Lego characters, and they give them all skin tones, and that you can kind of tell who's who. Mm-hmm. More so in the old days, you, you kind of only could tell who was who based on the hair that they had or the helmet that they were wearing. Like yeah. If it was Anakin's mask, you knew it was Anakin. If it was Darth Vader's helmet, obviously you knew it was Darth Vader. But yeah, the whole package, the toys, the video games, and the movies really came together beautifully with Star Wars, like something that we don't see incredibly often anymore uh, with a few exceptions. Like Star Wars was really the first multimedia franchise to do something like this. Yeah, it's true. And we talked about earlier on the Bionicle episode about mm-hmm. how this, the license with Star Wars at the time really hurt Lego because they charged quite a bit for it. It worked for Lego and now works for Lego, you know, exceptionally. But uh, Lego wasn't actually making a lot of money off of it, and which is why Bionicle uh, kind of came about. So right. thank you, Star Wars, for also <laughs> creating Bionicle. It did. Like, it, it gave Lego, like, entirely new funding to do other things. Like, Star Wars really did save a lot of different things, like a lot of toy companies. Who was it that had the original toy line for Star Wars in the 80s? Was it Hasbro or M- Mattel? I think it's Hasbro. I could be Hasbro. wrong, but Hasbro sounds right. Yeah, there, whichever toy company it was that took the chance on Star Wars back in the the original run in the 80s, that saved them from, not bankruptcy, but it, it it made them millionaires overnight as well. So mm-hmm. it, it rises all boats when Star Wars does well. So Oh, no, definitely, definitely. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about some of the movies. Well, all of the movies, really. Let's let's start from the chronological order. We'll start with the prequel trilogy. Okay. Uh, of course, you know, this is what we grew up on in terms of seeing it in theaters. We, of course, saw Revenge of the Sith, I think, on opening night, Neil, in 2005. Yep. That was really mm-hmm. cool. I'll, I'll never forget that. But uh, yeah, let's start with Phantom Menace. I 
am actually a, a fan of Phantom Menace uh, because I like things that are different. And Phantom Menace did things differently. They didn't try and just make New Hope 2, which is what Force Awakens did. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a lot of love for this movie. Of course, seeing it in theaters when I was six years old helps a lot and gives me some rose-colored glasses. But, you know, watching it again this week, uh, I, I, st- I still love the scenes that I love, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And you do say this all the time that you love things that are different. I also like things that, that are different when uh, long-time franchises try something new. I don't yeah. think that that's a reason to make it good or to consider it good. I think you still have to do something different and well at the same time. Sure. So I definitely see what you're saying with uh, Phantom Menace and and uh, Last Jedi doing things that diverted expectations. For sure they did. Uh, we're going to get to Last Jedi in a little bit. But the... <laughs> Uh, Phantom Menace, we'll talk about right now. It was different than A New Hope. It, they There are similarities to it, but at, like we said earlier, as a kid, like the pod racing is super fun to watch. Darth Maul is a very interesting character for a kid and an adult. Like He gave a lot of children nightmares back in the day, and everybody at you know fun fairs wanted to have their face painted like him, and we all wanted yeah. the Darth Maul lightsaber toy. Uh, of course, the double-sided lightsaber. So, yeah, like there were a lot of those little things where they did they did everything differently. Where you know you had different lightsabers, you had new tech, you had like characters returning from the the previous uh, trilogy, but they were in kind of like their infancy stage. Like C three PO is there, but he's more like a skeleton. I do like that about the pre- prequel trilogy. How C three PO kind of uh, he gradually becomes the golden C three PO that we know him as. He starts off as yeah. a skeleton, then he's got like a rusty exterior in two. And then three, he's starting to look a little bit more like how we know him. So, yeah, there is that. Like, you can see it leading into the uh, the original trilogy, which, you know, George Lucas, he created all six of these films. But I, I also watched Phantom Menace. Not this week. I watched it maybe two weeks ago. And I can admit, like, it, I can see where the hate for this movie came from. I didn't know that these prequel movies were, like, considered some of the worst films of all time until way later, maybe like 2010, when we were in high school. And I started to talk with people who studied film which i didn't know that that was a thing until i was in high school that you could study film and some of those students saying like oh yeah like the prequel trilogy like jar jar binks the actor there is like suicidal jake lloyd is like off the map like i had no idea any of these circles existed but going back now like i can kind of see where they're coming from like the, the movies the dialogue is not great the graphics have not aged particularly well in my opinion but i still have a very very big soft spot for for episode one yeah i you know, I, I honestly love a lot of parts of episode one, and I think that's what makes me enjoy watching the movie again and again, uh, mm-hmm. particularly the lightsaber fight. I think oh, yeah. far and away, uh, episode one has the best lightsaber fight ever with Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Darth Maul, of course. Uh, like that, it's so well choreographed. I think they did a fantastic job with it uh, because the guy who actually played Darth Maul was a mixed martial artist. Like he... Uh, was familiar with choreography and you could tell like they actually put a lot of effort into creating this really fun lightsaber battle because if you look back on the original trilogy the lightsaber battles are not great you know they're they're kind of like they're quite slow they they, you know this was they didn't really know what they were doing in terms of how they were going to frame these movies and so of course this was kind of the big thing that george lucas wanted to do with the first movie back in the star wars universe was like okay People love lightsabers. They love these battles. Let's actually make this really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that battle is honestly, I watch it at least once a year. 
like more than that probably because i love seeing that and of course duel of fates the amazing soundtrack that's over it i was gonna say the song that goes with it too is epic <laughs> duel of fates <laughs> so good i i sometimes do turn that scene on just watch like 10 minutes of it. it's great serotonin boost for sure the only issue is that you kind of have to get through the first hour and 45 minutes of the film, which can be slow at times, but at least it does have some action sequences in it, unlike some of the later films that we're going to talk about in an, in a few minutes. But yeah, uh, I, I still think The Phantom Menace is a worthy Star Wars film. I don't think it's a great movie, um, but it's, it's still a great place in time. Um, like just to go back to like 1999 and, and think about all of the marketing behind it as well and like the video game that went with it like pod racing I love the Star Wars pod racing game on N64 this movie started that I think it's a cool a cool moment of the of the film it, it doesn't need to be there and like they never go back to it again in any of the other 10 Star Wars films unfortunately but I, I'm still holding out hope that we will see another pod racing something in, in a Star Wars movie yeah, the pod pod racing that like was by far one of my favorite parts about that movie. I still love watching those scenes again, and mm-hmm. the acting in this movie is actually quite good. Like Obi Wan, uh, Ewan McGregor, Liam Neeson carried it, did a great job. Uh, yeah. Liam Neeson especially is fantastic as Qui Gon, mm-hmm. and watching like the whole I wa- I watched all the movies like this this month basically to get ready, and watching the whole thing through. I, I got a lot of appreciation for Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon. He mm-hmm. really did a good job with that character because you kind of realize that Qui-Gon is the guy who actually knows what's going on and yeah. and is kind of wise to like the everything being corrupt. And especially as an adult, that's a really good character to like watch and look at and kind of root for because you're like, yes, mm-hmm. you know what's going on. Like you actually – you're going to die too early, but you actually kind of figured stuff out. And I'm really – really hoping he will be brought back some way in the Kenobi series because we did get mm. that little tease in Revenge of the Sith that um, Yoda was going to teach Obi-Wan on how to communicate with Qui-Gon. Right. That was like a whole thing towards the end of the movie when he does die, which is unfortunate that he never became like a force ghost, like what we see at the end of episode six with uh, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, and, uh, mm. and Yoda. You never see Qui-Gon at the end of episode one, which was interesting. Uh, so yeah, I have a feeling that he will be kind of like a big reveal in the show. So you're gonna have to that. stay very spoiler, uh, stay away from spoilers when that when that show comes out. But that was really my biggest issue with the first movie, and it's not didn't have anything to do with any of the acting. I'm I'm even really not that like I don't hate Jake Lloyd. I didn't think he did a terrible job as young Anakin. He wasn't the best, but like I think he got way too much hate for for his performance. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And now I may anger some people, but Attack of the Clones, Hayden Christensen's performance was was tough to watch at parts in that one. And that, yeah. honestly, I don't think that was his fault. I thought I think that was the direction no. for Attack of the Clones. I think that was them trying, you know, trying to figure out, okay, we have this Anakin character that we just brought from a boy to this, you know, teenager, like uh, uh, late teenager. So it's trying to figure out how do we properly use him. And I do like the chemistry sometimes with him and Natalie Portman uh, playing uh, Amidala, or playing Padme. Um mm-hmm. I think she does a, a really good job with that, but it, it, it was tough. I think the dialogue was a tough one for Attack of the Clones. It gets a lot of hate, and again, watching it again, it um, I liked the scenes that I love the scenes that I loved. Honestly, like I love the Camino scenes. I think that's really cool mm. when he goes and meets Jango Fett when Obi Wan meets Jango Fett. Yeah, I thought that was a really awesome moment. And I always like to go back to that because I always kind of forget where it is in the movie. But uh, you know, Chris Christopher Lee uh, did his best of a job as he could as Count Dooku, but Count Dooku's character was just so shoved in there. 
He was very shoved in, and that, that was my issue with episode one, was that they killed Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. The coolest characters in this whole prequel trilogy died in the first movie, and it would have been so much better if they both carried over into the second movie, and Darth Maul had a bigger role taking over for Count Dooku. Count Dooku did not need to be in this in the prequel trilogy at all. No. And, and yeah, like I watched Attack of the Clones this week, unfortunately. It took me and my girlfriend three sittings to get through this movie, because it's two hours and 15 minutes long, Mike. And uh, we timed it because I'm glad that you went back to the Camino scene uh, because I, I like that scene too. I think that that's kind of neat. This water planet, it's all it's raining all the time. It's always night from the looks of it. Yeah. Uh, that's one hour into the film. And yeah. one hour into the film, this is when we stopped it the first night because we were tired. Nothing happens in the film in that first hour. Like no action happens. Like it's just dialogue and awkward conversations and hor- and a horrible love story. And everyone acting like that they haven't seen Anakin in 10 years. It's the weirdest interactions between characters where as, as a viewer, we haven't seen Anakin in their 10 years. But it seems like no one except Obi-Wan Kenobi has seen him in 10 years. They know him as this like amazing Jedi Knight. He's, he's stronger than everyone else. He's got a high metachlorian count and all this stuff. But like everyone kind of acts like that it's the first time that they've seen him in 10 years and like, oh, he's great. We're going to trust him on all of these missions. But he's he's too he's he's like too aggressive. He's too unpredictable. He's too juvenile. Mm. It's just like this weird back and forth where everyone we trust him, but we don't trust him. We love him, but we don't love him. Like it's such a weird relationship that he has with everyone in this movie. And again, we don't, I don't fault Hayden Christensen for his performance either. I think the direction was terrible. He's actually a very good actor. Yeah. Uh, it's just this these two movies that he just doesn't quite cut it as Anakin. Yeah, I mean, I think he does a lot better in Revenge of the Sith, but in Attack yeah. of the Clones, yeah, clearly the, the direction was off. And you're right, the, the first hour is tough to get through for sure, but the, the, the second hour is way better. Uh, I love the... Uh, when they're in the pit fighting everyone, that you see all the Jedi's come to the rescue. That's the last twenty minutes of the movie. That's the last twenty minutes. Well, I like the Camino scenes. I like everything that leads up to it. I like yeah. every time Ewan's on. Ewan McGregor really carries this movie. He does a fantastic job, especially he when he's kind of look, hunting down Django. His his interactions with um, with Christopher Lee as Count Dooku were really good. Those were probably the best Dooku scenes. So yep. all of Ewan's scenes are really really good. But it's the yeah, it's like the the ones in between and the love story that I didn't love necessarily. I remember seeing this in theaters, and I remember kind of not really loving it until the end. And I was like, yes, yeah. I will say that Jango Fett has probably one of the worst deaths because he just gets <laughs> his head chopped off uh, as Mace Windu is running towards him. Like, uh, yeah. like, didn't you know what was gonna happen? You have this lightsaber wielding Jedi who's coming at you, and you have a gun. Like, sorry, it's it's over. Yeah, well, you do see Django in like a scene five seconds before that, and he does kill a Jedi with his gun, so he is capable of killing a Jedi with his blaster. So I can see what he thought he was going to do. But you're right; like, they have two bounty hunter characters technically with Django and Bubba, and both characters died like bitches in both films. Like, yeah. J- Bubba Fett falls into the pit after getting knocked by blind Han Solo. And then you have Django, who just gets his head chopped off by Mace Windu in less than five seconds in this gladiator scene. Yeah, it's a quick death, unceremonious, and then young Bubba Fett, I guess, wears his dead father's armor in the in the next films and everything. So <laughs> that was a strange choice, for sure. I don't really know what they were doing with that. We're going to be talking about one of his games uh, later on today, of course, but... Yeah, like they do they do a terrible job of killing off characters in the Star Wars films. I think that characters should die in the Star Wars films. It just feels like that they never die at the right times. 
you know? Yeah, it's it's true. And uh, we yeah. uh, did get, of course, Padme dying in childbirth because she lost the will to live in Revenge oh, of the yeah. Sith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly y- love, love Revenge of the Sith. This is one okay. of my favorites. The, uh, I, we'll, we'll go through our ranking of Star Wars movies after all this. Yep. But yeah, Revenge of the Sith is, is one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. Mm. Every time I watch it, I actually end up loving it even more. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's action packed. There's not a ton of weird dialogue. The awkwardness is mostly gone in that movie. Mostly, but not completely. Not completely, but mostly it's, it's a lot of action and it's like, okay, now here we go. The politics are like basically over. We're going towards the whole thing of like, this is what we've been leading up to. This is what we've been wanting from a prequel in terms of thinking like what happened before, uh, New Hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it finally explains Anakin becoming Darth Vader. Like, that was a very emotional scene for us when we were 12, I guess, when this movie came out. Yeah. It was really neat finally seeing Darth Vader on screen, seeing Anakin as Darth Vader on screen. It was it was really cool. I haven't seen this movie, admittedly, in maybe five years. But, yeah, seeing it opening night with you was was really cool. Uh, I, I still question Anakin and Padme's relationship in, in this movie. Like, Padme, every movie that went by, she basically slowly became, like, more and more of just a damsel in distress character, which I found annoying. Like, she was a pretty good, basically, like, a warrior in, or, like, at least an aggressive politician in the first movie. And the second one, she was pretty good, too. Like, in the, she was fighting in the pit against that random cat, like, rat thing. Not sure what that was supposed to be, but... Can you imagine, like, in, in present day, if you have, like, a democratic politician, someone who loves democracy and everything, going on weird, awkward dates with basically an alt-right fascist, and, like, they're into each other? <laughs> Can you imagine that, like, today, like, two people on YouTube who have, like, different political Twitter accounts going going out together and then having twins? That's, that actually is basically what happened at the end yeah. there. It makes no sense, their relationship, if you think about it. No, but, but you know, they had to put it in there somewhere, and, and, and <laughs> I, yeah, I love... I love everything about this movie. Of course, the the end fight scene with uh, with Kenobi and Anakin is what we came, yeah. what we spent our money on for sure, because that is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even, you know, we get Yoda fighting too. Uh, we got him fighting a bit in Attack of the Clones, but that was kind of a lame battle. the 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 fight with the Chancellor is pretty sweet. Um, Mace Windu getting his hand chopped off, of course, and then getting uh forced lightning by the chancellor by palpatine mm-hmm. was a pretty sweet move too uh i mean like i i really just like this movie because it it's the of the trilogy of the prequel trilogy it's the one that's most like the original trilogy in terms of the pacing the characters yeah. everything and i think this is what we were waiting for and i was i'm totally fine to sit through two okay movies to be able to watch this fantastic movie I think that you can skip the first two and just have a pretty good time with this one, honestly, and just go right into four, five, and six. I I don't have as many issues with this movie. It really is just the Padme and Anakin scenes, really. I don't like emotional Anakin. I think he's better off when he's just aggressive or silent. I think that Hayden Christensen could have been directed a lot better if they just had him talk less, honestly. Yep. Like, he talked too much, especially in the second movie, but he, he definitely toned it down a little bit in, in this one, in episode three. And he had his hair grown out longer, and he had that cut on his eye. He looked a little bit more like a Jedi Knight, and uh, yeah, everything else was really well done. The only thing for me that uh, carries forward to 3 from 2 are the visual effects. I never found the visual effects of any of these movies particularly impressive. Like, Episode 2 especially is terrible. Like, I laughed at some of the character designs of, like, I (laughs) I hate CG aliens in Star Wars films. I like it when they're costumes or puppets. It just looks so much better. Like, there's this one scene with uh, Count Dooku at, like, a table. He's talking to a bunch of aliens about something. And I laughed at all of them. (laughs) Like, just 
when they talk, when they like laugh or anything, like they just look comical. It's really funny, and it didn't really get any better in episode three. I think that the the costumes look uh, look okay, like the Trade Federation uh, characters, the the racist uh, aliens, as most people consider them. <laughs> I thought they they were honestly the best looking alien designs in the prequel trilogy because they were people in costumes and not Jar Jar Binks flapping around like an idiot. Yeah, and you know it's funny because people. One of the things with the sequel trilogy, J.J. Abrams was like, we're going to use less special effects, uh, you know, than the prequel trilogy used. We're going to do more practical stuff. Well, we, I actually watched a very amazing video called the Anti-Trilogy. Uh, everyone should check it out. It's by So Uncivilized. It's got uh, <laughs> like two, three million views on YouTube. It's it's amazing. And uh, he talks about how actually there's far less effects in the prequel trilogy than they are in the sequel trilogy and it yeah. was pointing out like the the flaws the big technical flaws in the sequel trilogy but we'll get to that after we talk about the original trilogy of course mm-hmm. we have a uh, new hope you know this what else can be said it started it all right it's a great movie i love it uh every scene of it is iconic honestly at this point um yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, like I like the only thing really is that Obi Wan and Darth Vader fight, but everything else in this movie is so cool. Like I have really fond memories of watching this movie with you, Mike, when we were kids, like putting mm-hmm. together the papers for uh, for our paper route. We would have this movie on, like just yes. listening to Obi Wan talking to Luke in his little hut, like on on Tatooine. I just love that, like Luke pulling out the lightsaber for the first time and being so excited. That's the first time we ever see a lightsaber on screen, and then instantly like going to go put together like your own lightsaber made out of toilet paper tubes or gift wrap tubes, and then we fight with those. Like we did that. That's what we did like especially around christmas time we painted our own little lightsabers and we played with those and this is the movie that that started all of that and it's incredible that they made like so many of these effects out of toys they made it on a shoestring budget in the 70s it it came out like to like very little very little like just fanfare and it'd be so weird to go back to 1976 when you know george lucas is working on this film and everyone thought it was going to fail jumping ahead 45 years and you have this 70 billion dollar franchise uh every movie that comes out makes a billion dollars we didn't say that actually at the top of the episode that the we'd like to talk about the uh, the highest grossing franchises and where this one ranks. Uh, this is the fifth highest grossing media franchise of all time, just wow. ahead of Mario and right behind Winnie the Pooh. That's crazy. Good for Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, <laughs> he's up there. He's doing good. Yeah, no, that's that's. I mean, that makes sense. It, it would be the fifth most for sure. It's it's yeah. Star Wars is everywhere and it's kind of being reborn again somewhat as well mm-hmm. by 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 Disney, uh, at least in the movies. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love watching New Hope just a lot because of Alec Guinness. I think Alec yeah. Guinness in this movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He uh, actually, I was going to say he doesn't get enough credit. He gets enough credit. Uh, people oh, yeah. people know how good he is in this because you know they're these actors were pretty no names at the time. So he would have probably been yeah. the the definitely the biggest build actor. Uh, he actually walked away with two percent of all gross uh, income for anything Star Wars. I'm sure that got renegotiated when Disney bought them, but it did. His yeah. estate was very rich because of Star Wars, and I, I think he didn't love the fact that he was known really solely for being Obi Wan. But uh, apparently, he had such a great time on set. He joked around with everyone. He was known for playing pranks on uh, mm-hmm. Mark Hamill and uh, and Carrie Fisher all the time. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he just brings such an amazing quality to this uh this movie that i think without him the movie wouldn't have been as good as it is yeah with him it was him and peter cushing who yes. both carried it peter as cushing grand being, moth 
Tarkin. Tarkin, yes, exactly. The two, like, senior actors, I guess, that were on screen the majority of the time. Yeah, Tarkin was also, he's a really cool character because, like, you wonder what his relationship is or his position is in the Empire because he's not a force-wielding Jedi or anything. He doesn't have magical powers or, or whatnot. He's just, like, this general on the Death Star, yet Darth Vader respects him. Even though Darth Vader could kill you with his hand without even touching you, like, Darth Vader takes orders from him and he's like, who, like, it's like, who, he's basically the Empire's uh obi-wan like because i want to know more about tarkin like i hope that i wish that they could do a series with him but i honestly don't know what young actor can can come out and play a young peter cushing like we still have uh ewan mcgregor coming back to play obi-wan and really ewan mcgregor or alec guinness they both brought the same level of performance so it's not like that uh it's not like ewan mcgregor came out and everyone thought he was like an imposter he just he basically was Obi-Wan, which is amazing. He worked really, really hard to, to be that too. Like the, he yeah. took a lot of voice acting, like, like uh, lessons and everything. I watched a whole thing on him talking about how he attempted to kind of transform himself as, as Obi-Wan. He watched tons of Alec Guinness interviews yeah. and, and, you know, watched the movies and other, other uh, movies of his as well to kind of get mm-hmm. into character. And yeah, he, and the, the, the biggest thing I think with, with, uh, Ewan McGregor for Obi-Wan is that he was able to evolve throughout the three movies. Right. Like you actually see him going from just this kind of young hotshot to this fully fledged right before the, the, the original trilogy, Alec Guinness in the third movie. Like that right. is really, really hard to do as an actor to mm-hmm. not only impersonate someone when they're younger, but also to evolve them as a character and, you know, as a person. Yeah, what I like what I like that he did about with the character too is that it's funny they make fun of it in Family Guy how there, there's like a moment where like Luke Skywalker asks Obi-Wan like are you happy and he says I've never been happy. And like <laughs> you can kind of tell that with with uh Ewan McGregor like the character is never really a happy character. And that that's one of the things that like Darth Vader and Anakin I feel like that they did wrong where he does show signs of joy like quite a bit actually. It's kind of the opposite where Obi-Wan, when he's younger, never shows really any happiness. There's times when you can tell that he's proud of what other people have done, and he smirks, but, like, he never openly, like, laughs or jokes. Like, he makes little quips. Uh, but of the two characters, he's the one who's consistently kind of jaded, which I really like that in, in yeah. McGregor's performance. Me too, me too. And yeah. he, of course, does come back as a Force ghost in Episode Five. Uh, just mm-hmm. he's, he's there in a couple times, has a couple lines when he's talking to Yoda mostly, who's uh, amazingly played and puppeteered by Frank Oz. Uh, that is one of my favorite things is Puppet Yoda. I'm really oh, yeah. upset with CGI Yoda, so I was very happy when I got to see Puppet Yoda one more time in The Last Jedi. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, this movie is perfect. This is yep. one of my favorite movies ever, just not Star Wars, just of all time. Like, mm-hmm. I love this movie. Uh, I watched it again today. I wanted to wa- oh. watch my favorite today, so <laughs> I did it, and I was like, yep, there's no flaws. This movie is perfect in every way. Agreed. From start to finish, like, you start yeah. off on Hoth, which is one of the coolest set pieces of any any movie, period, like you said. Like, it is one of my favorite movies, too. Top three for me. It's usually between this and Dark Knight that I flip-flop on, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the day that you ask me. If anybody's curious, number three is always Scooby-Doo. But, uh, yeah, like, from everything, they go to Dagobah, they go to Hoth, they go to Cloud City, which is just so cool. It introduces amazing characters like Yoda, and Lando Calrissian is so cool, too. Boba Fett is uh, is there uh, as well in, in Darth Vader's, like, little meeting room. He's got a little meeting room there in Cloud City, which is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it introduces so many neat things into the series, like the carbon freezing, which is, like, a meme at this point, like, so many toys based on that. And we have the first cool lightsaber battle as well between Darth Vader and and Luke. Like, that that scene with them fighting on Cloud City and 
Luke getting his his arm chopped off and Darth Vader using the force to like throw giant blocks at him and stuff. It's just such a cool movie from from stem to stern. Oh yeah, like that's uh, yeah, that that is like the first true lightsaber battle for sure that you kind of yep. forget that that happened. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, it's it's such a fun movie to go back to and watch and I would if anyone has never seen Star Wars, I would love to like just show that to them and be like, oh, God. look at this. This is amazing. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back. And I love movies where, you know, it's it's ambiguous. The the good guy doesn't get away and just blow everything up and there's a ceremony, which, you know, is what <laughs> New Hope is, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, because that's kind of what it's trying to be. It's trying to be a very stereotypical hero's journey. Like that's mm-hmm. what George Lucas's whole thing was uh, with uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero with a thousand faces. That's basically what Star Wars was. Mm. So to make a, a sequel, you know, that that is so much more rich in, in so many different ways. And with these great characters, like you said, and and showing like kind of the prowess of the dark side, which I love seeing, of course, uh, I, I thought, yeah, I thought it was perfect. And Return of the Jedi does a good job. That one is actually a bit harder to go back to now. And mm. it's still a great movie. You know, don't get me wrong. Uh, but there yeah. are some scenes that are just weird. Like it, it actually takes a while to kind of get going, uh, especially when you're in Jabba's palace. There's this like long yeah. dance scene sequence that was really strange. Yeah, was that in the original? I think that I thought that they extended that with the with the new oh, series. That, that's one of the reasons why watching these old movies is so hard now because you can't really watch them the way that they were originally put out. Like oh. I have the, I since received the um the the Star Wars six series saga six film saga for Christmas one year on Blu-ray and it's not the original versions. Like I can't really go back and watch the original trilogy because of this reason is because that they add extra scenes. Like they, they extend scenes that didn't need to be extended. They added conversations that, that were, that were weird. Like the effects also look off in certain scenes too. So I think that that dance scene was actually made longer in this movie. And yeah, it's yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like it didn't, didn't go super well. So I haven't for that exact reason, I haven't seen episode six in a while. And the, the version on Disney plus too is, also the newest one so yeah i don't have a vhs player at my uh, in my condo so i can't watch the i know i can't watch the the vhs tapes in, in my house now but yeah like the, the, it, it does take a little bit of time to get moving but it is really cool to see kind of full powered luke in in this movie like he's basically a a full powered jedi now like he fights against the rancor without without a yeah. lightsaber which is a neat scene that that kind of went way too fast but i guess like with the effects and the and, and what they could do at the time made sense but i i love again like the practical effects in this movie are so cool like jabba the hut uh being basically a puppet man by i think it was four people inside of him to make his arms move his mouth move his face move and his tail move all synchronized was just unbelievable the rancor also basically a stop motion puppet i think with that one was really cool and then mm-hmm. you had children and little people playing the Ewoks was they were they were a controversial character or race I guess added to the series back in the day that was when people could start to smell that like the prequel trilogy was coming uh, <laughs> yeah. how it was clearly just like this this series to sell toys and this was way too kiddish but I actually really I, I, I like the Ewoks I think that they're pretty neat but all of these characters and costumes and designs coming together I think Empire Strikes Back or I think Return of the Jedi is is a good movie still. Like it's definitely a lot better than some of the other Star Wars films that came later in in our in our time, not Star yes. Wars time. But uh, like the ATSTs are all really cool. Like we had the Adats in Episode Five. This one brought the little chicken walkers on on Endor, and I, I love those. I think I like those sometimes more than Adats, depending on when you ask me. I love the chicken walkers. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ATSTs. They're, those are so cool. But yeah, original mm-hmm. trilogy, fantastic. You know, it's it, it'll forever go down in history as like one of the best trilogies of all time. Yeah. And then honestly, Neil, I'm very, I'm still kind of 
angry, but I've gotten over it. But I, I really did not like the sequel trilogy at all. I don't have a ton of positive mm. stuff to say about it. I do have some, of course. But sure. um, I, I know a lot of people liked Force Awakens. I liked it when I left the theaters. But then every re- rewatch I've done since, I like it less. Because yeah. it's so uninspiring. There's just nothing. Like, it's the most predictable thing I've ever seen. It's exactly like... Uh, uh, new hope, of course. Like it sure. was, it was definitely fun. The nostalgia was really cool to see Harrison Ford, uh, back again as well as Han Solo. Like that was that was neat to see. And then the Millennium Falcon after kind of so many years that we were we were back in this in this world again. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, after after the first kind of hour, then I've started getting uninterested almost. I can see that. I can see that. For me, I was a part of just the Star Wars excitement. Like, I'm very much a kid at heart, if you couldn't tell. And just going back to, like, 2012, when Star Wars was bought by Disney, that was a very odd day, too. I remember that. It was my birthday of 2012 when that wow. news broke. Yeah, I woke up and, like, this is pre, pre-me pre having Twitter and everything, and my parents found out before me somehow. I guess it was on <laughs> CP24 or something like that. But, yeah, they were like, you know, Disney bought Star Wars. And really, from, from 2006 till that day, there was no concrete thought or evidence that we were ever going to see star wars on the big screen again like throughout our entire high school career we had these six movies and then the the odd video game and book that came out and that was basically it we didn't think that we were going to have another trilogy come out we knew that george lucas had the scripts and the ideas for these next movies but as far as we were concerned you know six years after uh the revenge of the sith like star wars was done in our in our minds so when it was announced that disney was going to take over lucas arts and come out with another trilogy in the next three years we had we had been on the rumor mill from from 2012 till 2015. So when Force Awakens finally did come out, I was definitely a part of the bandwagon of fans that were just super excited to see Star Wars again. I was I saw, excited. Yeah. Oh yeah. For oh, sure. no, oh, yeah. Sorry. No. I, yeah. You were definitely excited, but you caught the flaws way sooner than I did. I sure. saw it, I saw it twice in the opening weekend, like once right after once the day it came out, and then once right after work, finishing work at 10 p.m. We went to the theater again and saw it. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good on this now until it comes out on Blu-ray. Then I watched it three more times, and and yeah, it does have. Very heavy similarities to A New Hope. Basically, it's beat for beat the exact same film. But they did introduce like a couple of new characters. Like I think Kylo Ren is actually an okay villain. I didn't really like Rey particularly. Uh, I love Daisy Ridley. Like I think she was really, mm. really cool actress. She seemed like really cool fan of the of the series, and she was our age too, which was kind of interesting to see yeah, this yeah. this British woman who uh, kind of was a part of indie films become basically the the new generation of Luke Skywalker. And before we talk more about this trilogy, I do want to say the character of Rey as kind of boring as she was like you know she she was just basically like she had no struggles ever like she was always an overpowered character from the seventh movie to the ninth movie i will say the one thing about her that i have loved is the amount of uh little kids specifically girls who dressed up like her on halloween i love yeah, to see cool. i did i have loved to see like this character become a bit of a role model for for little girls over the last seven years now uh like little girls with their you know little ray lightsaber and their their uh, whatever outfit that she wears and the hair done up i thought that was really cool so if that's if that character has given uh some people you know some some sort of role model to 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 aspire to be i think that that's really great but as a star wars character i think that she was flawed very heavily from the beginning till the end yes very much so and i think one of the big things the big problems of this trilogy was the fact that disney won three different directors uh, to yeah. do each movie and clearly Disney had a control rather than one director the reason why 
uh, the original trilogy went so well was, of course, George Lucas was the main producer, and it was his idea, it was his story, it was his world. Mm-hmm. Even the, tri- the 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 prequel trilogy, I think, is better than the sequel trilogy because it's much more cohesive. Like yes. it's 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 clearly still one person whose idea this is. Everything kind of goes back to to George Lucas in the in the prequel trilogy, good and bad. But mm-hmm. for the sequel trilogy, you know, we do. Uh, of course, we have. Uh, Force Awakens, which is very J.J. Abrams, who is kind of mm-hmm. by the buck kind of person. He wanted to erase the prequel trilogy. Basically, he he was very outspoken about hating that trilogy. So his whole thing was like erasing that trilogy. Just think about the original trilogy. But then we have Ryan Johnson who takes over for the Last Jedi, who is very poignantly the opposite way. And yeah. so, of course, then he is trying to be like, look, no, this is you don't try and do the same movie over again. You try and trick people. You try and have weird stuff going on. And if Ryan Johnson probably got his way fully, The Last Jedi would have been one of the best Star Wars movies by far. Uh, unfortunately, it it wasn't. You know, I know you don't like it, Neil, and I no. totally understand for people who don't like it. The thing that I like about The Last Jedi is the same thing that of the things I like about Phantom Menace. The scenes that I love, I love. And I remember them. And that's the big thing where, you know, Force Awakens, I could barely tell you any scenes that happened in that movie. Same with Rise of Skywalker. But I can tell you a lot of scenes from Last Last Jedi, uh, good or bad. Just, you know, Snoke getting killed with the lightsaber there. It was a great scene. And them fighting the Red Guards. Of course, Mark Hamill uh, and as uh, as Luke Skywalker again. And then creating himself as a, as a Force ghost slash person i don't know what you call it but to mm-hmm. to trick force, the I think it was a force projection they call it force projection that's yeah. right yeah you know stuff like that i i there's a lot of really really memorable scenes in the last jedi but there are a massive amount of flaws in that movie of course the biggest mm-hmm. flaw being finn and rose's side quest that just leads to nowhere <laughs> yep. and it's just wasted screen time because these are two really interesting characters that they just did dirty and like i remember thinking at the end when Finn is kind of going straight into it, like sacrifice himself. I'm like, Oh wow, this is actually going to go somewhere. This is going to lead to this Finn sacrificing himself. He's going to be a big part of the narrative now and everything. And it's like, Nope, we're just not going to do that. We're going to make his life meaningless in these movies. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They basically took this cool turncoat stormtrooper who would have been, it would have been way better if the trilogy was based on him, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly. But, uh, yeah, they made him a useless character by the, uh, by midway through the eighth movie, I suppose. But I have a very hard time believing that Disney had a cohesive vision for this trilogy. They didn't. No, no they did, definitely did not. So, like, having three different directors, in the end, they only had two with J.J. Uh, Abrams and Ryan Johnson. Uh, and, like, I just have a hard time believing that they had episode seven, eight, and nine all figured out because what episode seven was, you're totally right, it was a middle finger to the prequels. Episode eight was then a middle finger to episode seven. <laughs> yeah. And then episode nine was then a middle finger to episode eight. So, yep. like, you can't have a Star Wars trilogy that's just bashing on other Star Wars movies. That's the thing. It I know. Was, I, that's what it was frustrating for me to watch. And by the ninth movie, I understood what was going on. So, uh, we can talk about episode eight now. And you're totally right. It's at the bottom of my list. Uh, actually, it's not. It's just ahead of, uh, Clone Wars, but during this movie, like, I don't know what was going on because I liked Episode 7. I loved Rogue One. We jumped over Rogue One, which is fine. Those are the spinoff movies, but Rogue One is my second favorite Star Wars film. Some sure. days it's my favorite one, depending on the day you ask me. Please, so, Neil, let's not let's not be crazy here. Empire Strikes <laughs> Back is perfect. Oh, dude, Rogue One is close, but uh, like, I was, I was hot on that movie, and then Episode 8 came out, and for whatever reason, I didn't see that one on opening day. I don't remember why, but anyway, I saw it maybe the second day or the third day it was out, and I saw it with a friend of the show, Matt, 
he had already seen it, and uh, he, he knew. I didn't know that there, the movie was already uh, controversial, that it, it had split the fan base, basically, the, the second it came out. He knew yeah. this. I didn't. So <laughs> it, that was really funny, actually. And about halfway through the movie, I think he knew which side of the fence I was on uh, when I started to laugh at scenes where uh, you're not supposed to laugh, which, Mike, you do all the time during Marvel films, I know. I do. <laughs> and I love that. But, uh, and I get it. I get where you're coming from now. Like, for me, the movie really <laughs> took a turn early on but i really started to throw my hands up when uh princess leia and r.i.p carrie fisher because by the time this movie came out she had passed away and we figured she was dead and then she flew through space like mary poppins and that was the part where i laughed and figured this movie's done i am this trilogy is over for me so at that point i just started to have fun and laughing at everything because up to that point we had seen hermit luke who you 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 said you enjoyed seeing him and I, i i enjoyed seeing mark hamill too come back but every scene that he was in for the first half of that film i despise sure. him being yeah. this weird character blinking bl- drinking blue milk out of the tit of some random space cow and you know throwing his lightsaber over his shoulder and 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 it was all just really weird directional choice i did yep. like him uh on the island with uh, with Puppet Yoda. Puppet Yoda came back. That's yeah. really the only scene that I remember from this movie that I liked was uh, when Yoda came back as a force projection or a force ghost, talked to him, set the Jedi tree on fire and the books burned. I thought that was a really cool scene. But other than that, the entire other two hours or so of this film for me was just a slog and, and not interesting at all to watch, especially the Rose and the Finn side quest that you said. Yeah, I, and that's totally fair. This is one of those ones where I, I totally agree with people who say that they hate it, I, I completely understand why. Uh, mm-hmm. No love lost there for sure. But Rise of Skywalker, that's another one similar to Force Awakens for me. When I where I went into the theater, this is probably because I had very low expectations at this point. Yeah, I went into the theater and afterwards I was like, okay, sure, that was fun. I yep. I, I I enjoyed the ending of it, and then I watched it again. I was like, oh, this movie's bad. Like, it's <laughs> actually a bad movie in a lot of different ways. This is this is J.J. Abrams at his worst, in my opinion. Like he was just trying to uh, fix everything that yeah. uh, that Ryan Johnson had done in, in Episode Eight. Because another thing, about, Episode Eight, yeah, yeah, exactly. Another yeah. thing about Episode Eight that I really liked was the ending with the kid, you know, the force sensitive kid sweeping. I thought that was a really cool way to end it, uh, and it. And I remember seeing it. I was like, how are they going to get out of this hole? Because that feels like the ending to the trilogy rather than an ending to a movie. So, uh, yeah, episode nine was just trying to fix things and then, you know, bringing Palpatine spoilers. If you're listening to this, you you know this is going to be spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, bringing in Palpatine, uh, like, they were just like, why? There's no reason to do that at all. You kind of just threw the last cards you had on the table and who has just massive army all of a sudden like it, it just felt so so silly and it didn't work at all for the characters and of course now finn is just gone from this movie i guess he has yep. no part to play uh this is the only thing to take away from this i think is this is probably kylo ren's best movie and maybe adam mm-hmm. driver's best performance uh i thought that was the only thing that i really liked about it but yeah other than that uh, and Lando came back, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, that was nice seeing Billy D. Williams come back again. That was really neat. I I wanted to not like this movie because I saw that. I think we saw this one together on opening night, right? It was more of a group of us. I'm pretty sure you were there with like Dan was there and Braden was there too. So we had yeah, a bit probably. more of a group. I think that that was the group. I forget, but anyway, uh, I, I definitely was going into this one with low expectations after seeing uh, Last Jedi and Solo as well, which I actually really liked. Solo it wasn't a great film, but it was it was fine. Um, 
but yeah, I remember just thinking like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to throw my hands up into the air and just whatever happens, happens. And it's a fun movie. Like, I'll give it that. Like, it, it, it has like all, it has some really cool set pieces again, some really cool environments that they explore. Yeah. Like, I like the Death Star bits being in the ocean. I thought that was kind of a cool scene. That was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, honestly. Sure, of uh, course. I just felt like that the sequel trilogy up to this point weren't really true to like the original characters at all, especially episode eight, basically ruining Luke Skywalker for me and a lot of other people too. But this one didn't, even though Palpatine did come back, which was a very weird choice. Uh, Ian McDermott still killed it as oh, of course. P- as Palpatine. Like I thought his he was just super cool. Made no sense that he was there, but still, like just seeing him hooked up to like this Gladys like robot, like basically keep being kept alive with the dark side of the Force. Very stupid, very dumb, but, like, I was like, he's still doing a really damn good job as Palpatine, even though he's, like, 85 years old. Yeah, he he, he definitely, like, all the actors, I think, uh, uh, killed it in these movies. Like, there's no bad acting, I think, in the, the sequel trilogy. Yeah, but the issue with the sequel trilogy, too, is that, like, we're looking probably down the barrel of, like, episode 10, 11, and 12 at some point, And, like, I don't really care if any of these, if we never see any of these characters again, these new characters. Like, Kylo Ren died at the end of episode 9. Uh, all of the original cast are dead now, basically. Uh, I don't need to see C-3PO again, honestly. And Ray, Ray Skywalker, I guess is her name, is not a very interesting character. So, like, I would love it now if the movies would kindly leave the Skywalker name in the past and give us a completely new story. Yes, and please, please do that. And please have Kenobi be the final thing in the Skywalker saga. I would love it to be, because that's all I've ever wanted, honestly. I've mm-hmm. been waiting for this since the day I discovered Star Wars. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm really excited for this. But, uh, Neil, I think it's time for us to rank our movies. I'd like to, I'll, I'll go first. I'll, I'll give my okay. top Star Wars ranked here. Uh, okay. Now, before we go, are you are you, are you you including Solo and uh, Rogue One in here, or is it just the, orig- just the Skywalker 9 movies? I'll put Solo and Rogue One in here. Yeah. Okay, good to know. I did too, so cool. All right. Okay, so Solo is my last, unfortunately. I'm sorry, Neil. Okay, uh, that's fine. It's not that it's a bad movie. I just don't really love it. That's mm, honestly totally all I have to say. Uh, I get it. Attack of the Clones at number 10 here, um, you know, for obvious reasons, as we said. Rise of Skywalker at number 9. Force Awakens at number 8. Phantom Menace at number seven, Return of the Jedi at number six, The Last wow. Jedi at number five, Rogue One at number four, Revenge of the Sith at number three, New Hope at number two, and Empire Strikes Back at number one. Wow, that's an interesting list. I can't believe that you have uh, Return of the Jedi so low, like halfway down. That's crazy, but it doesn't mean it's a bad film. I know no, that these are all good. From six up, it's really, they're all good movies. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's They could definitely be interchanged. Well, other than Empire Strikes Back, two to six could easily be inter- interchanged. Sure, sure. And I, do you give New Hope, just need to know, because some people do consider New Hope like the best movie because it started it all. Do you think that's a good reason to give it the number one spot? I don't. No. I don't think so. It is just a good movie in general. So that's why it deserves the the number two spot here. But uh, yeah, I I think just because Empire Strikes Back is is better in every way. It literally improved on the original movie in every way, in my opinion. I respect that list. And I don't disrespect Solo being at the bottom. I I think that it has every right to be the 11th worst Star Wars (laughs) film. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's just like it had it could have been way worse is why I have it higher up than you. Um, Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with my list now. Number 11, at the very bottom, and always will be, I God, I hope, is Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I I have honestly never liked that movie. Like, the, from fine. the first day I saw it, I think maybe it's because I saw it on a day that I wasn't feeling well for the first time. But <laughs> thinking back this week when I watched it in three sittings, I don't think I've ever seen that movie from start to finish in one sitting. I, I'm pretty sure I have not. So sure. Attack of the Clones, number 11. Number 10, Last Jedi. I hope I never see that movie again, honestly. 
Number nine is Rise of Skywalker. Fun mm-hmm. movie, but yeah, it had too many issues in it. Uh, number eight, I have... Actually, Revenge of the Sith is pretty low for me. Uh, I don't know why I have it that low, actually, now that I think about it. But I think it's just because, literally, is it that, that first hour and a half, for me, are tough to get through. I just want to watch... If it was just the last half hour of Revenge of the Sith, would probably be up, like, number five for me. Oh, the last half hour I watch, I think, like, on a monthly basis. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, that's, like, <laughs> one, of the, one of the best action sequences in a film. So yeah. if we could just watch the last half hour of, Re- of Revenge of the Sith, would be a way better movie. Then I have Solo, because it uh, I was not expecting it to be as enjoyable as it was. Sure. Number six, I have The Phantom Menace. I think it's a poor film as movies go, but I have very big nostalgia glasses, rose-colored glasses for it. Number five, I have Force Awakens. I think that that movie was fun. Like It, it was it, it was a fun movie experience after nine years of not seeing a Star Wars film in theaters. It, it, it did it enough right for me to make it number five. Then I have A New Hope. I love that movie. Number three, Return of the Jedi. I think I enjoy that movie just a little bit more than A New Hope. It has some some cooler characters, some uh, an amazing lightsaber battle at the end. It introduces the green lightsaber, which is the coolest thing when you're a kid. Number two is Rogue One. That is just an incredible Star Wars film. I think the only reason why I can't give it the number one spot is because that there's no lightsaber battle in it. If there was yeah. a lightsaber battle in that film, it would be number one for sure. So with that, number one has to be Empire Strikes Back from, like we said, start to finish, from Hoth to Cloud City. That movie is so cool. It has so many amazing lines, great acting. The characters all come into their own. The movie holds up ridiculously well. Favorite movie of all time, Empire Strikes Back. And that's our list. Beautiful. I love it, Neil. I love it. And yeah, let's just keep moving on here to some more Star Wars content. Sure, let's talk about some video games. So originally, George Lucas licensed out the Star Wars name to publish and put out Star Wars games in the late 70s and early 80s, and for the most part, those games were super basic and lacked any sort of story. It wasn't until 1993 when Lucas actually took interest in the gaming market like he did in the toys market and decided to start LucasArts to develop Star Wars games, and this is when I started to take notice in the Star Wars video games, specifically on the N64. Uh, But Mike, what are your earliest memories of playing a Star Wars video game? That's a good question, Neil, because I haven't actually played that many. I mean, I I guess I played quite a few, but (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, I haven't played that many Star Wars games. I think some of the first ones that I probably would have played would be Battlefront, uh, Battlefront 1 and 2. I remember playing that on Friends PS2s, but I never owned them. Uh, I And for the GameCube games, I never had Rogue Leader or Rogue Squadron 3, uh, Rebel Strike. I never had those for the GameCube. I got those later on in my life. So I think the first game that I actually owned would have been the Lego Star Wars uh, games, if you can believe it. And oh, yeah, I guess KOTOR, too. I did play Night of the, the Old Republic, but I didn't own that. That was my cousin's game that he had on PC. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that's a pretty good start. Lego Star Wars. That makes sense for a lot of our generation. Like, what else would we have jumped in on? We were probably too young to be playing KOTOR, like hardcore KOTOR fans at, at that time. Uh, my, my first, my first memory of a Star Wars game is probably pod racing on N64, which I love that game. It's basically an F-Zero clone. Uh, if listeners haven't checked it out, like I highly recommend it. It's on the Switch eShop, which I bought day one. It's basically like a remastered port of the N64 pod racing game. Absolutely adore that game. It's so cool. It really does do justice to the pod racing in episode one. Uh, the second game that I played a lot of as a kid is Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds on PC. 
which oh, is nice. basically Age of Empires, but with the Star Wars skin on it. I think we played yep. that at my house when we were kids, right? Did I invite you over to play that? Do you remember? We did. I, I actually remember. I completely forgot about that until oh, just now. Yeah. I have two copies wow. of that game on disc because for some <laughs> strange reason, I found one copy at uh, Value Village one once a couple of years ago for like two bucks because I guess they thought it was a CD. So I was like, all right, I'll buy this as a backup or something. And uh, so, yeah, I have two copies <laughs> of that game because I love it so darn much. And then finally, my third biggest game that I played as a kid was Star Wars Battlefront 2 on PSP. Of course, yeah. I remember that. Oh my God, <laughs> I got that for Christmas with the PSP. I got that and Happy Gilmore, the movie. Uh, <laughs> yep, I remember. I, I, I vividly remember this. <laughs> such a good Christmas morning. Oh my God. And between those three games, I have to have easily 200 hours across all three of those. So those are the sure. ones that make up the bulk of my uh, my Star Wars uh, my Star Wars history in terms of video games. Uh, I have a little bit of the prequels, a little bit of the original trilogy. And then, you know, once I got into college, I was getting back into collecting video games, as we've talked about a bunch. I went back in time, not literally, but I went back in time <laughs> and I, uh, I played the GameCube games that I had missed uh, or games that I had just dabbled in a little bit. Like I had played Rogue Squadron at friends' houses on N64 mm-hmm. and I had played the Clone Wars on GameCube at another one of our good friends' houses in, in elementary school and I had heard of The Force Unleashed. Uh, and various other games, but I never actually really jumped into them. So I played a lot of those games in college, and I, I like pretty much all of them. I can't think of like a super weak game of of the Star Wars uh, of that Star Wars era from 1993 to 2013 is what's considered the Lucas Arts uh, era of Star Wars games. It's the 2014 to present era of Star Wars games that's a little bit more hit and miss for me. Yeah, we we will get into that. I'm gonna actually go gonna go through all the Star Wars games on Nintendo hardware because there were literally hundreds of Star Wars (laughs) games made from 1983 to the present that were just on everything. So I'm just going to stick to Nintendo hardware. But before I do that, I realized that I actually did write down my timeline of Star Wars games. And I I, I like to read it for you, Neil. It almost reads like a haiku. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, go for it. Sure thing. Uh, But my first one was actually playing Podracer at my dentist's. Uh, yeah, they had a little TV. There was like a little waiting room and it was this tiny 14 inch TV, probably, you know, one of those really small tube TVs that you'd find. And they had an N64 hooked up to it and they only had pod racer. And I remember that's where I first played it. And I just uh, was really excited to go go to the dentist every time (laughs) because they had pod racer. That's so Uh, cool. Then playing KOTOR with my cousin, as I said, playing Battlefront 1 and 2 at friends' houses, playing Lego Star Wars and absolutely loving it, seeing Battlefront 3 and then crying because it never actually happened, playing the EA Battlefronts and crying for different reasons, yep. uh, playing Fallen Order and enjoying it a lot, but not uh, ever being you know fully immersed, I'd say, uh, and then playing KOTOR again last year, as I talked about on the podcast, and remembering just how good this game is. Yeah, I, I tried to jump into KOTOR earlier this year on your recommendation on one of the podcasts that we had, and I, I probably I probably played it for maybe three hours, the first three hours or so, and I wasn't really getting into it. I found it just slow, and I, I didn't like the combat. I just much prefer the Rogue Squadron and the flight simulation Star Wars yeah, games, personally. totally fair. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the way for me to go. Just the single player. Uh, I like the hard games. I don't need a super long story. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order was probably about my limit. That game is maybe 20 hours, I think, depending on the difficulty that you go with. And yeah, like that game is, it's really good. Like I can't fault Mm -hmm. it for being a bad game. My thing was always that it just does everything that every other big game at the time did just okay. Like it has a lot of exploration mechanics like Uncharted. It has the parry and the difficulty of kind of like a Dark Souls game. 
Uh, and then it has a whole bunch of other games in there too. It's been a while since I played it, but I remember thinking like, this is just like an okay combination of every single AAA game of uh, of the PS4, Xbox One generation. But uh, it's an enjoyable game nonetheless, especially after getting Battlefront 1 and 2 on PS4, which were, which were just ranged from not good to okay. I think Battlefront 2 ended up being an okay game, but uh, I, I'm, I'm okay to skip that one. I'll stick with Battlefront 2 on my on my PSP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, those games, there's a lot of controversy around that. We're yeah. not going to go into that. But yeah, Nintendo-only hardware here. So we're going to do NES, uh, Star Wars, the first one, 91. Uh, before Lucas starts, not a very good game. Empire Strikes Back, kind of same thing. And then uh, for the SNES, we had Super Star Wars, which is actually a good game. I have played that Those game. Those are great games. I've played one of them. I own one. I don't remember which one. But yeah, they're 2D platformers, action games. Yeah. Very hard. Very yes. hard games, but my gosh, they are really good. I think those got ported to PS4. I don't know about Switch, but they're on digital digital storefronts somewhere. If you haven't checked them out, if you haven't checked them out, I highly recommend it. If they're like ten bucks, just try it. Like they're really fun. Yeah, they're really really fun. Super Star Wars, Super Return of the Jedi, Super Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did get released in the, the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, we also have Yoda stories on the Game, Game Boy Color. That's a bad. Yeah, that is a bad game. Same with Episode One, Obi Wan's Adventures, which I think you picked that up, Neil, right? Yeah, I bought that game. I played that game. We were on a school bus. We were on a, a field trip in grade six. We we're on our way back from Montreal on our uh, two day field trip or whatever it was. And uh, a friend of mine, we had like our bag full of Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color games, and we were on the way home. And uh, he had this random Obi Wan's adventure game on Game Boy Color, <laughs> I think it was. And I played that the whole way home, that game. I love Good it. Good for you. <laughs> it, it's not a great game. It hasn't aged particularly well. No. I... Uh, it's just an, it's an isometric, over the top, or above, above the top, or whatever you'd call that action, kind of like Zelda. Uh, yep. You play as Obi-Wan, and you can deflect beams from droidicas and battle droids, and it's you basically play through the events of Episode 1. The music is really fun. I never really played like a sword fighting game on Game Boy Color up to this point, so it was really cool. And then two years ago, or maybe three now, because this was pre-pandemic, you and I were at uh, a retro video game store here in Toronto. We were looking at the Game Boy Color and Game Boy uh, boxed Game Boy games wall. And I just out loud said, like, oh, I'll check the wall to see if they have. And as I said it, my eyes landed on Obi-Wan's Adventures on Game Boy Color. But inbox, all, like, good condition, manual, yeah. cartridge works for 20, 25 bucks. And I was like, sure. Like, why the hell not? Why not? Yeah. This was such a fun game that I played back in the day. And like I said, <laughs> has not aged particularly well. But I enjoyed playing it nonetheless, what, 15 years after the fact. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's hey, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah. And now we move into kind of the golden age of Star Wars games with the N64 games. Honestly, all these games are good. Some of them are great. We got Shadows of the Empire coming mm-hmm. out in 96. Yep. We got Rogue Squadron, of course, coming out in 98, the first of the trilogy. Great game. Uh, we have Episode 1, Racer, a uh, fantastic game in 99. Yep. Uh, we have Episode 1, Battle for Naboo, which is actually a decent game that came out right after in 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Battle for Naboo is kind of like a spiritual successor or like a spinoff to the Rogue Leader games. It's not made by Factor 5, but it's it's a very similar style of game. Basically only playing in the events of Episode 1. Uh, you, you're always in ships, which is the way those Star Wars games should have been. Uh, Shadow of the Empire was like a get-out-of-your-ship, more of like a mm-hmm. third-person adventure game, which early N64 third-person adventure game hasn't aged super well but for the time it was it was really cool for the time because it got you got to play the events of the shadow of the empire book as dash rendar which we'll talk about in in a little while um so that that's a fun game to pick up just for that novelty alone 
Oh, 100%, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have the Game Boy Advance games. We have Jedi Power Battles in 2001. Okay. The New Droid Army in 2002. These are all bad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Flight of the Falcon in 2003. And then we get Star Wars Trilogy, Apprentice of the Force. I actually don't know this game at all. I had to look this game up. Mm. It came out in 2004. It's an okay game from, from what I could garner from it. Most of them are like 2D action games, like side-scrollers, right? I think I remember seeing my yeah. buddy playing uh, Star Wars Episode Three. I believe, was on Game Boy advanced it was basically like like a 2d zelda game sort of thing yep exactly and gamecube games we are we know what we're talking about we're going to talk about them today i'll leave those be for now uh revenge of the sith on the ds coming out in 2005 uh we have lethal alliance in 2006 clone wars jedi alliance in 2008 the clone wars republic heroes which is a notoriously bad game in 2009 and then uh battlefront elite squadron coming out also in 2009 for the ds Hmm. Okay, I don't I don't have any experience playing the DS Star Wars games at all since I didn't have a no. DS back in the day. I had the PSP, so I don't know how good these games are. It's kind of weird. I know that it's not on your list here, but it's it's really weird that they put The Force Unleashed on DS, which The Force yeah. Unleashed 1 and 2 are both pretty fun games. I really enjoy them. I think that they would be fun to have on I mean, they are on Switch now, I guess, but uh, I don't think that the mm-hmm. port is particularly well done. That was an interesting choice. I played those ones on PS3. Uh, not on your list, I know, but Force Unleashed, I highly recommend going back and playing those games, too. Yes, not great on the DS. Please don't play it on the DS. <laughs> or the Wii. Or the Wii. Like, go back and play it on 360 or PS3. That's the way to play those games. Yes, and I do have this on my list on the Wii here. So, of oh, course, okay. Force Unleashed 2008, Force Unleashed 2, 2010... And we have Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga on the Wii in 2007. It was also on the DS, which is where I played it. Mm-hmm. We have the Clone Wars lightsaber duels in 2008. Uh, and we also have Lego Star Wars 3, the Clone Wars. Uh, of course, uh, we have Lego Star Wars 1 and 2 on the GameCube. So we did technically get Lego Star Wars 3 in 2011. Why Why call it Lego Star Wars 3 at this point is just, I don't know why they would have done that. It's yeah. so confusing. Yeah, numbering the Lego Star Wars <laughs> games was weird because they never, until The Force Awakens, they never centered them around one specific movie. Uh, I would have preferred yeah. it. I liked like having the Skywalker Saga as a name was a really cool idea. Lego Star Wars, the video game, interesting concept for the first game. But yeah, numbering them was extremely strange. But uh, they did what they could, and those games sold ridiculously well anyway. And I'm excited to talk about them today with uh, with you and a caller. Mm-hmm, that's true. And Wii U, we had a one Wii U game, mm-hmm. Lego Star Wars Force Awakens, as you mentioned, Neil. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole bunch of games now on the Switch, you know, including some of the games we're going to be talking about today. Star Wars Pinball, mm-hmm. which came out in 2019, which is actually a pretty good game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, of course. Republic Commando, which is uh, a game that I actually really want to pick up. I've never played Republic Commando. Yeah, that was one that came out like a year ago on Switch. And I remember talking about it on the podcast because I really mm-hmm. wanted to play it. I still have not. It's been a year and I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but it's still on my backlog list. I intend on picking it up at some point. It looks really interesting. I've heard that like it doesn't, you know, just like any other shooter of this time, doesn't age very well and all that, blah, blah, blah. But it still looks like a lot of fun, and you get to play as clone troopers, which are, take them or leave them, like they're sometimes interesting, they sometimes mm-hmm. aren't. The Clone Wars TV show really helped flesh them out. If you just know them from the movies, I can understand why they're not super interesting, but they are a really neat race of characters i guess if you want to call them that but Mm -hmm. that's a very cohesive list of uh, star wars games on nintendo hardware uh there are well over 100 star wars games easily more than hundreds of star wars games if you want to factor in all of the random spinoffs unofficially licensed games everything from mobile to arcade there's easily hundreds and hundreds of different star wars games but of the official releases uh they span across 31 consoles 
and have sold well over 90 million copies. I'm sure at the time of this podcast recording, it's probably jumped well over 100. I'm not sure if that counts the Lego Star Wars sales. I don't believe it does. These, this is just like Star Wars games, 90 million. Sure. Uh, I'm sure that with uh, whatever it is that comes out next in the Star Wars se- series of video games, uh, Jedi Fallen Order 2 or uh, Squadrons 2 or whatever it is that, that, that they've announced on Star Wars Day, I'm sure that that will jump well over a million copies with that. So obviously Star Wars and video games are synonymous and will be until the day that we die. Yes, that's true, Neil. But there were a couple of, uh, of things that we would have loved to have. I briefly said it, but Battlefront 3. So Star Wars Battlefront 3 is kind of this mythic game almost that people will talk about. And for those who don't know, of course, we have Battlefront 1 coming out or Battlefront 2 coming out. I think in 2006 it was, Neil. Uh, that's right. And yeah. uh, Battlefront 3 was going to come out probably around 2009. And it was going to be for uh, next-gen you know, uh, hardware. And one of the big things that they revealed at, I think it was E3 or some convention at the, at the time, they revealed this amazing footage of being able to basically start on the ground with your ship and go all the way into space seamlessly yeah. through the atmosphere and then start a battle uh, in space, basically. And that was something that really we still haven't seen since. And I am really, really upset that we haven't gotten got in the Star Wars game or just any kind of space game since then. Well, we have had it, Mike, in uh, certain failed games. We had it in similar in no like No Man's Sky. Tried it vaguely, tried. and even Starlink Battle for Atlas. Like I played the first hour of that game. It's trash. Don't pick it up. But you can do that in Starlink Battle for Atlas. You can fly from space down to a planet and land. And it's cool. Like, it's very cool. It's just I've never seen it in a game where I want to play the game for more than 10 (laughs) minutes is my issue. In a Star Wars game, I can't wait until they can do that. But, yeah, we're still waiting for that. And, unfortunately, when Disney bought LucasArts back in 2012, they they folded a lot of the uh, the games that they had been working on. There were a bunch of Bounty Hunter games like 1313 and Battlefront 3 that were in the works that we had seen gameplay and trailers for that just vanished into vaporware basically into nothing which there's you know rumors percolating that they may come back in some way some of them uh there was a canceled darth maul game that would have been awesome and it it, that actually got got me thinking mike are there any star wars characters that you'd like to see a standalone game for that we haven't seen yet well qui-gon i always say because i love Mm. qui-gon stuff and there's just not enough of it in the world i would love to see a i'd love to see a a qui-gon like just that era you know Mm. pre- uh, pre uh, oh, like him taking Obi Wan as his um, as his uh, Padawan because Count Dooku apparently in uh, trained him right so as yes. he says in in the second movie I'm sure he got trained by Yoda as well but uh, I would I'd like to see like a younger Qui Gon and play as him like that would be really cool and and mm-hmm. and get that storyline that I've ne- never really explored very much of course a standalone Vader game where you play as Vader the entire time at the peak of his powers oh man is probably what everyone <laughs> wants because yeah. like that is what I've been craving for I remember playing the Battlefront the new Battlefront games mm. and wanting to test out vader at some of the the locales and it just was like ah oh, this isn't exactly what i want though this is yeah not great combat i don't like this this multiplayer action don't just give me give me a full vader game 
Yeah, no, oh, that'd be so cool. He always just does play like small roles in these video yeah. games, or you play as him in these made up uh, battle royale style ninety versus ninety matches in Battlefront. Yeah, I, I could definitely see a standalone Vader game would be cool. I think that a standalone villain game in general would be cool. I don't think you could really go wrong with with many of them. Like I think mm-hmm. a Darth Vader, a Darth Maul, or even like a General Grievous game might be kind of fun. I don't know how that would work, but like I think it'd be neat because that's the thing about General Grievous. Maybe they go into him more in the comics and the TV series. But but uh, I would like to see because my always my thought of him was always that he was at one point an alien or a human species of some kind, and now he, and now he's being kept alive in this robot machine. I think yeah. it would be kind of cool to play a game where you start off as him as like an alien or whatever he is, and then he transitions into this robot oh. thing, and then he goes around killing Jedi and collecting their lightsabers or something. Like he's a really neat character, like killing off Jedi and keeping their sabers as trophies. Yeah. He was a really interesting part for episode three, mainly to sell toys. But I mean, he still he did the job pretty cool. He's very memeable now, of course, with the General Kenobi. Um, but yeah, to, to have him in a in a in a game would be really neat. Just to play a, as a bunch of the villains, I think would be a lot of fun because there are so many yeah. introduced in the show and the comics. And yeah, I think that that would be really cool. I I would I would like something like that someday. And Qui Gon Jinn is a good choice too from the good guys. That would be my choice, obviously. Well, I think that that's pretty good for games there, Mike. Now, of course, uh, aside from video games and movies, there's lots of other media that Star Wars has popped up in, uh, including books, comic books, TV shows. So we don't have as much experience with these things. So let's just quickly kind of gloss over what we've enjoyed over the last few years. Uh, Starting from the very beginning for me uh, would be the animated series, the the Mm -hmm. Clone Wars, back from right around when Episode 3 came out, I believe, around 2005, 2006, the show came out. I didn't watch it at the time that it was airing on YTV, I believe it was on. I jumped in way later, I guess, when it was on Netflix. Uh, My friend Matt, uh, when we worked together, he used to talk about it all the time and how it was actually like a good show. It's not just for kids. There are episodes that are good for fans of the prequels and fans for the original trilogy. Like There actually are some pretty deep themes that they, they cover. So I jumped into it way later, maybe back in 2017, 2018, and it's a very good show. Uh, the original run and the new season on uh, Disney+. Plus. I highly recommend the new season on Disney+. Plus. Uh, even if you haven't seen the entire series up to that point, you can probably understand what's going on. Uh, so yeah, that's my first other media category for Star Wars is the Clone Wars animated TV show. Nice. Uh, you're going to have a lot more other medias than I do because I don't That's have fine. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Really, really all I have is Rebels, which was I really mm-hmm. enjoyed Star Wars Rebels. I think that might have also been on, on the YTVs or whatever kind of kids channels uh, uh, there were back then. Uh, I really enjoyed Rebels. It was a bit more had darker storylines, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it, it followed similar plot lines as Clone Wars, but mm. uh, I, I didn't, I just never really got into Clone Wars because I watched it really early and oh, I didn't yeah. like the storylines and I just gave up and I've never really gone back too much to, to, uh, to, I guess, get a deep dive into it. I really should. I know I would like it, especially mm-hmm. the last season is what everyone tells me. So yeah. I, I will, I will definitely watch it at some point. And in terms of, of other series, I guess there's also, of course, the Mandalorian, which, sure. you know, came out quite recently and is, uh, it, it mostly good. I, yeah. I, I will say I didn't really love the first season. I didn't get into it. I found it was a little slow pace for me, yeah. but the second season for the most part was very, very good. Yeah, we both kind of had the same opinion on Mandalorian season one and two, which is one of the first times that we like fully agreed on anything new Star Wars related, which was really funny. We were both like, yeah, this series is okay. And then, yeah, you know, yeah, this, this, this one is better for sure. And yeah, we were both the same. I remember not, 
I had very high expectations for Mandalorian for some yeah. reason. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> just because this was after episode eight and nine, I think. Or yeah, it was after episode nine or around the same time. So mm-hmm. I guess I just thought like, oh, it's a TV series. It's based around this. It's going to go smaller. It's going to be smaller Star Wars, which I always like. It's going to be focused on a Boba Fett-like character who I really like. So I guess it just like had all of the trappings of being something Star Wars related that I would really enjoy. And yeah, it, the first season is really slow. And I, I felt really disconnected from the Star Wars community at this point because I would check Instagram and Twitter and everyone was head over heels for season one of Mandalorian. And I was just like man, maybe I'm missing something. Like, I, Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I, yeah, I was like, maybe this isn't, maybe this franchise isn't for me anymore. I was really scared. Like, oh man, you know, maybe Star Wars, maybe I'm done with Star Wars. But uh, nevertheless, we waited for season two and season two had a slow start. I think the first episode was a bit of like a continuation of season one, but everything after that for me was awesome. I love season two of yeah. Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Season two, literally every episode got better. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Which was really what you want to see in a, in a season like that. And uh, I, I, the last episode of season two is fantastic. Yep. It's so, so, so good. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, I, I won't spoil that one because that's a new one at least. Yeah. So I'm not going to say anything for that. Uh, that was a great time to watch and and uh, and be a part of that uh, experience for sure. But then I, I would really like it to end right there. I know they I know. won't because Disney loves money mm-hmm. and they want to they will beat star wars until it is an absolute dead horse so <laughs> they will keep going until people keep talking about mandalorian and we did get a bit more of it with book of boba fett which i was uh the 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 mandalorian episodes of boba fett were the really best good. episodes I, I personally didn't watch you told me not yeah. to even watch the other <laughs> other episodes i was like okay i'll just watch the mandalorian ones and those were great i had a great time watching them yeah, yeah, like I, I watched all of that series. I don't know if you went back and watched the other episodes later or not. I watched the one where they had the Vespa scooters, oh, and I was like, this is way too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> dude, you, you you dodged a bullet there. I'm glad that you didn't go back and watch it. Yeah, the Book of Boba Fett, sorry I have to talk about it again. I feel like I talk about it all the time, but it, it's like six or seven episodes, and maybe three of them are great because it is Mandalorian and baby yoda again like boba fett is straight up not in i think two of the episodes and i was yeah. like is he gonna come back are they just dropping this character but <laughs> it, it was hilarious i was like okay this is this is an interesting turn for a for a boba fett tv series we've waited 30 years to see what happened to this guy and i guess we're not gonna really find out but yeah the, the, that was a very strange s- series and i hope that they don't do a season two of that i, I kind of hope that they just leave the character alone make him a side character he was really cool in mandalorian season two i didn't need him yeah. on his own uh trying to become a mayor of a town where nobody likes him like that was just (laughs) politics and star wars man i don't know what it is when like they try and get into like you know trade federations and and politics and like like episode two and three that we've already sent it like there's so much politics in star wars sometimes and it's like man like i don't need it to be all action figures bashing against each other but sometimes i do need a little bit of space battles and and you know cocky pilots and lightsaber fights like that's what i need and there's very little of that in book of boba fett so but anyway, uh, I'm excited for Obi-Wan, as I'm going to say probably a hundred times today. <sighs> Moving on from TV series, though, we do have a little bit of uh, history with the, the books, the Star Wars books. Now, most of the books that I've read from the Star Wars series are all legends now. They're no longer canon, which is freaking amazing. Uh, since we read most of these books in high school and college just before the Disney acquisition. So after Disney bought them, they said, some of these books, including Shadows of the Empire, which is one of my favorite books of all time, is no longer canon. 
Yeah, and that's the way things go, you know, and uh, definitely upsetting. And they said that with Kodor too, but we'll see if with the remake they'll bring back Kodor into the mm. into the canon timeline because why not? It's four thousand years before, so like you're literally not <laughs> affecting anything by doing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, the only uh, so you lent me the Darth Plagueis uh, book uh, or Plagueis, uh, I don't know however you pronounce yeah, Plagueis. it. Yeah, Plagueis. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever uh, heard the tale of Darth, Darth Plagueis, Plagueis the Wise? The wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's a great book. I actually really, really, really enjoyed that a lot. I would highly recommend it. That's probably the only Star Wars book I've actually read. Uh, I would like to read more. Just, you know, I don't know. It's time. Other things going on. I don't know. And at the time, I think, too, when we were in high school, I definitely was off the Star Wars train. Uh, One, there were no movies coming out. Two, I wasn't super excited for what Disney was going to be doing. I just okay. didn't trust them um, as, you know, I don't know, it's Disney, so you never know what they're going to do. But uh, the hype came when The Force Awakens actually was coming out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that like period of, of like 2012 to 2015, I was like, yeah, Star Wars, like, I like it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really diving into it. But I know you've read quite a few of the books. Yeah, I read a couple. I maybe read three or four. I, I don't really remember even the titles of two of them. But I, re- <laughs> nice. I read Darth Plagueis, which was really cool. And then I read Tarkin, which is also a really good oh, book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're both really cool. They kind of just told the story of basically Palpatine and Tarkin in their own separate stories. They cross paths occasionally. Those books may have been by the same author, uh, James uh, some, James Lucino, I believe was the name of the author. I think he wrote both of those books. Uh, but yeah, they're both terrific. I don't think that they are canon, like I said. But I was really hoping, because I read these books before the Disney movies started coming out, and with Snoke in Episode Seven, I was really hoping that he was Darth Plagueis, and that's what a lot of people were thinking. Yeah, they would tie in the legends to the new series with that. And that would have been so much cooler than just killing this character who is basically pointless in the entire series. There's lots of theories. And I do like to to subscribe to this theory that uh, Ryan Johnson saw that too many people were kind of in on the joke. Like like they knew that it was going to be Darth Plagueis. Mm. And so then he just like, screw it. I'm just going to kill him off. And now you can't say anything. And I'm going to completely change course here. So I, I like to think that might actually be true. But, Neil, we know what the real truth is. What is that, Mike? We know how episode nine really ended. Uh, and what it was was Anakin wakes up and he's still in <laughs> Tatooine. And Jar Jar is beside him. He's like, wake up, Annie. <laughs> it was all a dream. And then he puts his hood up. And it turns out that he, of course, was Darth Jar Jar all along. And then screen cuts the black. That's a good way to end this entire segment here. Our opening segment is my favorite Star Wars theory, and that is that Jar Jar Binks was meant to be the Sith Lord, the bad guy, the turncoat at the end of the episode two or three, I suppose, was meant to be when the the switch was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I really would love a reality where that we got to see that vision come to fruition. Well, the thing is, is that like it's partly true. Like it is. there, is, it's partly true in the fact that Jar Jar was supposed to have a much larger role in the prequel trilogy, mm-hmm. and George Lucas had to kind of write him out for the most part because of the massive negative backlash that uh, Jar Jar got. And you can see that with the way that the second and third episodes are edited. Like he's he's clearly in the scenes, but he's not allowed to talk. (laughs) He's in episode two. He has a few speaking roles. And then in episode three, he just doesn't talk. That's no. <laughs> basically what happens. But yeah, I would love to see I would love to see a Gungan anything come back in one of the new series. Like I don't hate this the, the race. I think that they're 
they don't age particularly well in terms of racism, but uh, <laughs> as a character and as a species, they were really interesting. And going back to Galactic Battlegrounds on PC, they were the species or the, the, the civilization that I built with the most. I love the Gungans in that game. They were really fun to play with. Yeah, no, for sure. And you can make the design so much cooler now with like modern day effects. Like the Gungans look terrible in both in all three movies. The Jar Jar Binks looks awful. Still does. Always did, honestly. Uh, I would love to see what they could do with that character or another Gungan now and make him like a Darth Gungan of some kind because I've seen mock-up designs of like Darth Jar Jar Binks and what oh he would have God. looked like and, and you'd think that they're funny but honestly like they're terrifying like they can do really yeah. cool stuff with like a an amphibious looking Darth Lord or Sith Lord well Jar Jar the original Sith Lord he will live on forever <laughs> he will live on forever in our hearts in our dark Gungan hearts <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to our hour and a half opening this is by far the longest opening that we have ever done uh, for a podcast but with that Mike I think it's time that we jump into some GameCube games what do you think I think so Neil let's do it all right Let's start with Star Wars The Clone Wars, which was released on October 28th, 2002. This game was developed by Pandemic Studios, who developed the Army Man games and Destroy All Humans. This game was published by LucasArts. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Priced today at around $20. Rates a 7 out of 10. This game is an action-adventure game, and of course, it is a movie tie-in to the hit Star Wars film, Star Wars The Clone Wars. <laughs> the hit Star Wars film. Sure. So actually, this game, you lent it to me. Uh, thank you very much for that. I, I do always see this game, but it's always player's choice, so I never actually I know. end up buying it. Mine is uh, player's choice, too. I know, I know. I <laughs> we can't it. escape it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is uh it is a surprisingly pretty good game for the time. It, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was I went in with low expectations to be fair. I mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, this game is going to be whatever." And I had a fun time playing it. Yeah, I have very fond memories of playing this game back when I was a kid. I went to our mutual friend Cal, his house, and he had this game. And we used to play the multiplayer mostly. The campaign in this game is pretty good. It's basically like a Battlefront light game, I would consider it. Like yep. it's it's like the Battlefront game on GameCube that we never got, honestly. It's not nearly as good as Battlefront. Please do not take that uh please take <laughs> that comment with a grain of salt. But it runs in the same engine as the Battlefront series, which means that this game looks really good for looks really good. F- for its time and now even. Uh, but yeah, we used to play the um, the ship combat games, like when you're on like kind of these land tanks, basically very tank controlly kind of game. But it was really fun, just shooting at each other, blowing up uh, buildings and rocks and other ships. A lot of fun fighting droids. But the standout for me in this game, another uh, co-op centered level, is the Colosseum level. It's a really fun. You could make a game just on this level alone, and you're yeah. basically playing in the Colosseum the last 20 minutes of the Clone Wars, the only good part of the film. And you just fight waves and waves of enemies. And you think that that sounds boring. And by today's standards, it probably is. But at the time, we didn't really have anything like that on GameCube. So we used to play that mode for hours. You'd pick your Jedi. Like I think you had Anakin, Obi-Wan, Mace Windu, Yoda. And you may have had a few others on the Jedi Council. I forget. Jedi Master Plo was not there, unfortunately. I would have loved mm. him. Or uh, Yaddle, <laughs> of course, the female Yoda. But just, just playing wave after wave of uh, of these like Genosian... Uh, grasshoppers coming at you was so cool and just to see who the last man standing was i love that level yeah i love that you can play as mace windu that was a big plus for me in this game i think it's one of the only games that you can too so Mm -hmm. i was uh i was pretty excited for it and and, you know this is going to be a common theme 
throughout this episode, Neil, but what is it with Star Wars games and not being able to make, you know, out-of-vehicle combat fun? I know. Like, it's, it seems like the only thing that they can do is make the, the vehicle combat really fun because Clone Wars and, of course, the uh, uh, the Rebel... Or, and of course, the Rogue Squadron series, the the vehicle combat when you're flying around and shooting, so much fun, so well done. But whenever you have to get out of these vehicles, it it, it turns into a slog. Yeah, other than Battlefront, Battlefront is the is the is the black sheep or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, it is the only outlier of that rule. But it's true. Every other game, when you get out of the ship, it's always like, I want to get back in the ship though, uh, because <laughs> the the lightsaber battles aren't quite there yet. Like the fighting is not as good as. Jedi Knight 2, which we're going to talk about in a little while, uh, you do get to play as Mace Windu in levels, and it just looks stiff. It's hard to play as him. It's not nearly as fluid and, and fast as playing a modern-day game like Jedi Fallen Order, and it's hard to compare games that are 20 years apart, but still, it's sure. it's not fun. It wasn't fun at the time, honestly, and it's not fun now. What made that uh, Coliseum stage fun was that you basically had a shared screen, and it was very high up and away and top-down, so you were controlling them from, like, they were ants in a in a in an ant farm basically and it, it worked yeah. really well like that it wasn't you weren't behind the shoulder lightsaber fighting and that does not work and they knew that in uh the force unleashed games too where that is very much like a fixed camera kind of like god of war and you're running around fighting rancors and stormtroopers and whatnot but yeah it's crazy they couldn't quite get the out of the ship action but the flight simulation mm-hmm. in all of these games are pretty pretty spot on they are yeah they honestly are like the, yeah. like this game like you said it controls really well when you're in the air. The graphics are very good for 2002. Yes. And uh, actually probably better than most, if not all, of the games on this list. So uh, that was impressive to play mm-hmm. uh, this week and be like, oh, wow, this is this looks pretty good. Like That's a, that's a big plus in my mind if it still looks good you know, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really weird to me, though, that we got this Clone Wars movie tie-in, very specifically a movie tie-in game, and we don't get a Revenge of the Sith movie tying game. Not on GameCube anyway. We did get a Revenge of the Sith video game, but it showed up on, I believe, Xbox and PS2 and, and Game Boy DS. Advance. And the DS, yeah. But yeah, no GameCube game. And there's really not even uh, uh, an Episode One Phantom Menace game that you can play, like a dedicated Phantom Menace no. game on a Nintendo console, at least. We have Pod Racing and we have Battle for Naboo, and then we have the Lego Star Wars game. But other than that, we don't have like a mission-based game where you play level by level. Uh, through episode one which is really weird i wonder if like it'd be like a really weird thing if like ea or or whoever it is that owns the star wars license now one day goes back and just says like you know what we're gonna make a a 20 year too late movie tie-in game (laughs) it'd be really strange because yeah you're right i don't know what happened there just clone wars and it's a pretty early gamecube game too 2002 yeah yeah very early yeah Yeah. and i mean uh phantom menace probably didn't have a full movie tie-in just because movie tie-ins really didn't exist in the same way they did in the GameCube generation. You know, there were only a couple of movie, t- real movie tie-ins on the N64. Most of them went to the PS1. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And even that era, like, like, there weren't a lot of 96 movie tie-ins. And when they were, they weren't movie tie-ins at all. No. They were just like, you play as the characters in s- certain events. Yeah. It wasn't really until the GameCube era that we started getting, you know, actual movie tie-ins trying to go off of the script somewhat and off of the plots of the event. Then, or uh, a plot of the off of the plot and events of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, then we kind of lost that after the GameCube slash Wii era. 
Yeah, we had a few good ones in this generation. And, and then it's funny to see like some of the stragglers in the GameCube generation that were still doing that like movie tie-in, but it's not based on the movie. Like how it's like, oh, it's a, it's a Bug's Life, but it's a kart racer. Oh, it's Monsters, <laughs> Inc., but it's a dodgeball simulator for some reason. You know, that was funny. And yeah. this one is a bit more of a true-to-form. Uh, it's all the set yeah. pieces and battles from Episode 2 with a few other things thrown in there, of course. There's scenes that don't exist. Uh, one thing that I have to say about this game, though, is that the voice actors are not very good. They are not the people from the movies. No. I can tell you that. I could tell you that within seconds of playing this game. <laughs> yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, the, the guy who did uh, Mace Windu did an all right job. Uh, and even the voice who did Amidala is also not terrible. You can tell it's not Natalie Portman and Samuel Jackson, but Anakin and Obi-Wan are awful. <laughs> They're awful. And, and that is really too bad because you would have thought that LucasArts would have the foresight to say, okay, this is a very much, we're trying to make this a movie tie-in game. Let's we're trying to make this a franchise that that people will go to for video games. Let's actually get the voice actors. Let's make this a real thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was strange that they didn't. Maybe uh, who knows? There's uh, probably a plethora of different reasons of why that didn't go through. But yeah, that's that sucks. It would have been cool to actually have the real voices from the movie in this game. Yeah, they never they never came back. And and it's weird. Like with uh, with Obi Wan spe- Obi Wan specifically is the one that irked <laughs> me the most. And I don't know how to say this without coming across as uh, offensive or, or what, but they gave him a very flamboyant British voice, and that's not what Ewan McGregor was doing. Like, it just sounds – I can't even describe it, and I'm not going to imitate it. You can go and check it out, but it just sounded like a – I'm not going to – it's just a flamboyant Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I was like, why does he sound like that? It's just like, why does he sound like he's hitting on everybody right now? It's really strange. But anyway, I, I think that this is a really fun game to this day. It though. is. Like, it is. I think it's best played with a friend, like play it in co-op, get in some yep. uh, some Naboo Starfighter battle tanks or go to the uh, Coliseum level that I loved as a kid. Those all hold up very well. The shooting controls all hold up really well. The graphics mm-hmm. are still great. The sound effects and everything are really cool. I love the sound of blasters in, in Star Wars games. So if you can find this game for cheap, like we said, we'll talk about it to- more towards the end of the episode. But it, this is a I would probably put this in the good movie tie-in category. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And that, like you said, their controls. Uh, this game actually holds up controls-wise. Like It wasn't a major shift like some of these others to um, to use these controls and in present day so yeah it it is a good overall game it's short it's quite short so you can beat it quite quickly and i think it's a good time if you can find it for cheap like you said so yeah definitely but before we move on let's hit the back of the case now mike as you said earlier you borrowed the game from me so you have the copy to read so i'm gonna let you read it today but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Begun the Clone War has. Jedi Master Yoda. Thanks, Yoda, for writing on the back of this case. <laughs> you were thrust into the heat of battle in the galaxy's most unforgettable conflict. Lead the Republic Army in the greatest battles of the epic Clone Wars as Anakin Skywalker, Mace Windu, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Your directive? Stop the Separatists from reassembling an ancient Sith weapon of mass annihilation. And uh, Nintendo Power gave it 4 out of 5. Just going to see a 4 out of 5 review on the back here. Yeah. (laughs) But, okay. Um, Action-packed, says Entertainment Weekly. This is truly a great Star Wars game, IGN. These are not good quotes. No. 
they, they, these are terrible. Well, these are terrible. Quotes. They can't put too much on the back. I I don't like quotes on the back or front of cases. Neither do I. I wish that they just did away with them. Honestly, it was very popular in this generation. I've noticed it more and more recently. I don't know why it's happening more and more, but uh, yeah, it's, it was a strange choice for sure. Um, so the the actual artwork here is okay it's it's that big republic gunship that's on the front with some uh clone troopers uh basically coming off of it but what's way better is actually the inside box art uh that's in the manual okay it's it's um it it just looks really clean there's a lot more clone troopers in this one instead of just like the four uh instead of the the gunship it's one of the walkers like the republic i don't know what you call them but uh, one of the land uh republic walkers okay uh, and the Clone Wars is in a bit different font. Every everything just looks a lot nicer. So I wish they would have had that as uh, as the the cover instead of the the current it's one. Just, but it's a very okay. brown cover. Like it's just lots of browns. It's not very colorful. Yeah. Like there's no lightsaber on the front, which is which is it's fine. fine. It's meant to it's meant to be the Clone Wars, and these are the clones, and these are their wars, I guess. But uh, yeah, the the case, especially as a player's choice, does not look great because it's it's a lot of no. browns, it's a lot of gold, and then it's yellow. So it, it looks a little bit ugly. But I went back and bought this game back in grade 12 when I was getting back into collecting video games, and I didn't really realize what I was doing when I was buying a player's choice game. So that's why I have that game now is because I bought it 12 years ago not knowing that I was going to hate myself for doing that 12 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Past Neil screwing him again. Yeah, I know. Past Neil's a dick. But uh, anyway, Mike, let's move on to the next game of the day. But before we do, I think we need to welcome our first caller to the show. Do I hear a line ringing? That's right, Neil. Our first caller of the show is friend of the show, Jedi Geek Girl. We're really excited to have her back. She last came on for the Soul Calibur episode, which was a lot of fun to talk to her about that game. And of course, today we're going to be talking about a bunch of Star Wars games with her, Lego Star Wars and Jedi Outcast. But first... What is your favorite all-time Star Wars game? Hey, hey, guys. It's been a while. I am so glad to be back on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. To answer your question, I am going to cheat because that is what I'm going to do, and I'm actually going to name (laughs) three of them for very different reasons. In no particular order, Knights of the Old Republic, obviously, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jedi Fallen Order, and the original Star Wars Battlefront 2. Nice. That's a great list. Those are amazing games. I love all three of those, honestly. Battlefront 2 is so darn good. I have to ask, what console did you play it on? I played it on the Xbox with my brothers. Okay. Nice. Now, would, would you hate me if you, if I told you that I played probably over 100 hours on the PSP version? <laughs> I think I, I could never really get into the PSP version because I thought the PSP version was like a console light. And why would I play the PSP when I would rather play the consoles? Well, if you, That's fair. We didn't get Battlefront 2 on GameCube, so I had what I had, and I didn't get to complain. Yeah. <laughs> so it was I mean, so good, though. Oh, man. I mean, you could always play one of the Rogue Squadron games and pretend you were playing Battlefront. True. That's basically what I did. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, And, yeah, I was surprised to to not see Rogue Squadron uh, 2 on your list there. But uh, if there's only three, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, Rogue Squadron, usually, like we said at the beginning of the episode, usually in the top five of Star Wars games. But we're not talking about that today. Today we're going to be talking about some uh, the other Star Wars games that came on the GameCube. But before we do, I do also want to ask you, what is your movie ranking for Star Wars? Neil and I just did ours, so we want to hear yours, of course. The only Star Wars film I hate, I'm sorry, is Rise of Skywalker. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then moving up from least favorite to favorite is Solo. The Force Awakens, A New Hope, Attack of the Clones, Return of the Jedi, The Phantom mm-hmm. Menace, 
Rogue One, and my top three, The Last Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith. Nice. Wow. Oh, Mike, you there's a Revenge of the Sith at number one for you there, Mike. Uh, you know, that's I, I like that. I'm a fan of that. I will say Empire Strikes Back is always going to be mine and Neil's number one. That just is yeah. a perfect movie. But uh, I think Revenge of the Sith is still a great time, especially growing up with it and seeing it, you know, in theaters when we were younger, I think uh, helps a lot with that nostalgia. But yeah, that's a great list, uh, uh, Jedi Geek Girl. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. Uh, there's a couple interesting ones on there. New Hope, very low, very low. Yeah, yes. that stood out to me too. It's uh, it's 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 low compared. It's kind of funny because back when it was released, it was pretty quick, and now it's kind of slow and it's kind of like boring compared to the other ones. Okay. Uh, and even though it was very groundbreaking and it has a lot of good character, I mean, obviously Han Solo steals that film when it comes to the character base, um, among others. It's just. For me, it doesn't hold up as well, and that's just because it shows its age. That doesn't take away from its revolutionary status or anything, but it's like watching Citizen Kane these days. <laughs> Citizen Kane is considered to be one of the best films. However, if you put a Gen Z in front of it, I'm a millennial, not Gen Z, they'd probably be bored out of their mind. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually, you know what, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning of this episode about rose-colored glasses and looking back at things and nostalgia and, like, how they revolutionize things. I think your thinking is better than most in that sense of, of thinking, it, like, trying to think of these things in a 2022 light instead of just thinking of them in 1977 uh, because, yeah, you can definitely fall into a trap in that sense. But that's that's why it's even more interesting to see you put Revenge of the Sith at number one. Yeah, for me, it is the accumulation of everything. It's fine. It's the final Lucas Star Wars film. It blends mm-hmm. the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. It has that emotional gut punch. It has action. It has the best opening in a Star Wars film, in my opinion. It has. It has just everything. It's like the accumulation. It's like the climax. And I think it was a perfect film for Lucas to go out on. They've even found a way to make it better somehow, too, over the years with the latest, uh, we won't talk too much about it now, but the latest series of Clone Wars. Uh, I love how the last two episodes tied into Episode 3, too. It actually, Mike, I don't think you've seen that show yet, but it somehow makes Episode 3 better, in my opinion, at least. <laughs> it's so yeah, cool. I, the only show that I ever watched was Rebels. I never mm-hmm. actually saw the Clone Wars. I saw a little bit of Clone Wars and didn't love it, but I think that was like the first part of it i yeah. know like the second part is better if you know what i mean but yeah yeah it, it definitely gets better but like if you could watch the last season and totally get what's going on because you you got to ask yourself like where's ahsoka when episode three is going on they explain it hmm. i mean when it comes to the star wars films i think revenge of the sith has the best surrounding material when it comes to legend and canon like the books yeah, in yeah. legend before and after revenge of the sith and of course you got clone wars you have bad batch and you have other things that tie into revenge of the sith that the other films don't quite have at the same level it's true that's a really good point yeah that's a very good clearly you uh i mean with your your name your username is jedi geek girl clearly you are the person to bring on this episode so we're very we're very excited to talk to you about just star wars in general but let's dive in first to the lego star wars games before neil reads the stats i just want to ask you you know what's your uh what's your experience with lego star wars in general well like most people i first played it i think i got it when it came out new it could have been used. I think it was, and it came out in 2005 because it had uh, Revenge of the Sith stuff in it. So I'm pretty sure I played it that year, and obviously I played Lego Star Wars 2. So I played it early, and then I played it again when it was complete uh, collected in the Xbox 360 version. 
Nice. Yes, I love that version. Yeah, they did. Dip, they did put the Lego games out in a bit of a weird order, and uh, they did start. You're right with uh, the original prequel trilogy in in Lego Star Wars: The Video Game, which was released on October 25th, 2005, developed by Traveler's Tale. I think that this was Traveler's Tale's first Lego game that they did, published by Lucas Arts and Eidos. It's also on Game Boy Advance, Windows, PS2, Xbox, and Mac OS X. Priced today at around fifteen dollars. Rated a eight out of ten. This is like an action adventure. It's a Lego game. You know what we mean. It's uh, <laughs> It was the 13th best-selling game of 2005 and sold a total of 7 million units, the best-selling on PS2, but you're getting a pretty similar experience on the GameCube. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And uh, I I never played these games on the GameCube. The I played them on the DS. I had the same edition as uh, Jedi Geek Girl did, but I had it on the DS instead of the Xbox 360. And, I mean, it's the same idea, So, but... Um, yeah, uh, the Lego series in general, I have always loved Lego Star Wars. Uh, I just recently picked up the Skywalker saga. I'm not sure if you picked that up as well, Jedi Geek Girl. I have not. Money has been an issue, and so has my ad- addiction to Magic the Gathering. So. <laughs> you can, it's, it's hard to juggle too many hobbies up in the air, so we, we understand the struggle, too. We have, we have a lot of other things that uh, pull us away from this hobby, unfortunately, but... Yeah, the, uh, the Skywalker Saga, I'm glad that Mike was able to pick that one up because it looks like a really cool game. I'm excited to play it when you're done with it. I had no idea how big the LEGO series was until we started to... I mean, I knew that it was played by a lot of kids, but I had no idea that in the last 20 years or so, over 100 million units sold across all of the different licenses and franchises that they've touched on. Wow. 30 million of those being uh, from Star Wars. And this didn't count the uh, the Skywalker Saga, which at the time of recording this has already sold 3 million units, having only been out for a couple of weeks. So the Star Wars Lego games have accounted for about 30% of Lego's sales <laughs> in video games. That's crazy. Probably wow. the same for the toys too, honestly. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. But yeah, what are, what are some of your favorite memories about playing uh, Lego Star Wars? Just the discovery nature of it like you had the environment where you could like destroy stuff and accumulate stuff and it was also a collectathon like you can collect these little canisters that put a ship together and it was great for if you were a completionist because it offered a lot for you to complete without it being kind of boring or tedious like it had that perfect Mm -hmm. sweet spot and even though the gameplay is kind of simplistic, like it's not that complex of a game, and you relatively should be able to beat it with little to no skill, but it was still so engaging. And also you had the different characters that had separate things, like young Anakin, or if you want to call him Baby Anakin, because Baby is a thing <laughs> now in Star Wars. Um, Baby Anakin, you could like use the thing to crawl, Jar Jar Double Jump. You had people who used the force. You had people who had uh, guns. And you had different puzzle solving based on the characters you had. So even though there was like, I I don't know what the number is, like five or seven different type of characters and different skin or whatever. It's like, okay, I just want to be Doc Maul now. You can play as Doc Maul or I can be Obi-Wan or I can be Anakin or I can be Padme. So it's this perfect blending of simplicity and engaging without it being overwhelming and accessible to everyone not to mention the fantastic side but it's better without voice acting humor yes oh yeah. that that's like that's the one thing to really take away from the lego star wars series a lot of people might be thinking oh it's just the just the movies in lego form and it really isn't you know it's it's 
almost like they found the best ways to experience the 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 soul of the movies if you want to call it that and with the added humor that doesn't go over the top but it, it just keeps it in that kind of kiddish style and i really love that like it, it really does make me feel like a kid again and it makes me want to build more lego every time i play lego star wars games like i think the the collectathon part of it like you said is is really really fleshed out and well done because at the time there were so many collectathon games like neil and i have talked about you know like mm-hmm. at least a hundred collectathons on the gamecube alone mm-hmm. and so many of them are so repetitive but yeah you're absolutely right with the lego star wars games you actually feel like you want to keep going with it you want to keep going back to these missions because the missions how they do it are they're relatively short and like you said very easy and that kind of makes you want to go back and find the other stuff that you've missed and uh and but without it feeling too repetitive because you know the environments you you know the movies obviously so you kind of want to live in this world anyways and it's pretty neat that you can play the story like in in your own order too and with the with the own characters that you want to play too like i believe it's after you beat the first mission in the game you can kind of play the game in any order that you want correct like do, you don't have to play the, the series like if you you don't have to go episode one episode two episode three right like you have a bit of freedom in the game too or am i thinking of the newest game I think you're correct in that. I think you have to like yeah. beat the first level and then all the other doors open. It's been a while since I played yeah. the original Lego Star Wars and the original trilogy. The last time I played was the complete saga. So Okay. I kind of love that though. I wish more video games did that. Where like, yeah, you beat the opening, maybe it's like a bit of a tutorial mission and then you you have the ability to go to any level. I think that a lot of games could benefit from that because playing video games in like this linear progression is something that we've been doing now for like 50 years. I think it's time that we yeah. can some of the video games can maybe borrow from from the Lego games. And just going back to the humor really quick, I had to Google this while we were talking because I love the humor in Lego games too. Like my girlfriend just played the uh, the Harry Potter series on Switch. I think she might have 100%ed it. She came damn close if not, but I had to look over at certain times because like some, and I played it with her too, and like some of the humor is just so darn good. Like the, it's really good. Like the, like the little jokes that they make and like I just, I was just thinking like this has to be a British studio and it is. Traveler's Tale, they are a British studio. You can tell it's very British humor that they, that they make with a lot of the movies that they that they play around with, no pun intended, but there are 59 playable characters in the uh, the LEGO Star Wars game, 56 in the console versions, actually. The Game Boy Advance version had three different characters, being a Gungan, a Tusken Raider, and an STAP, which are like the Trade Federation droids on those little floating segways that they had. So, uh, Jedi Geek Girl, I gotta ask, did you have a favorite character to play as? And Mike, you too, I guess that goes to you. Oh my goodness. Um, I guess it would have to be Darth Maul because of okay. the way sure. we're talking about the prequel trilogy one here. Um, because of the mm-hmm. way that he fought and the combat and the speed and he had the double jump. Uh, the original trilogy one was a little bit. Um, I don't know if that one was released on GameCube. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the what's it called? Yeah, it's just literally called Lego Star Wars Two: The Original Trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the Lego Star Wars Two. I think my favorite character was Vader, if I remember correctly. Okay, so you're a Sith yeah. Lord, then, is what you're trying to say? <laughs> uh, I can be quite evil sometimes. I mean, nice. I I I'm I'm always I always choose the evil characters and everything. I'm 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 crazy like that. But I I love yeah. I, Darth Maul would have probably been my pick too. I like playing Qui Gon just because I love Qui Gon, and um and you don't get to see him enough. So whenever I 
play the prequel trilogy on any of the Lego Star Wars that I own. I always try and play as Qui-Gon as much as I can because I know he's going to die soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, because we just did bring up Lego Star Wars 2, the original trilogy, why don't you uh, go through those stats as well, Neil? Sure. Lego Star Wars 2, the original trilogy, was released on September 12th, 2006. This is a very late GameCube game. Also developed by Traveler's Tale, published by LucasArts, this game was also on Game Boy Advance, Windows, PS2, PSP, DS, Xbox, Xbox 360, Mac, OS X, and the J2ME. All right. Price today at around $25, rates an 8.5 out of 10. This is an action adventure. This game sold 8.3 million units, so the LEGO games were selling like hotcakes back in the day. I bought them, so <laughs> it makes sense. Do you, uh, uh, Jedi Geek Girl, do you know what the J2ME is? Because I have no idea what this is. No, I was just thinking, is that like a first for the podcast that that was mentioned on the podcast? This is a first. Yeah, we. Uh, this is the first. Sometimes we'll see new consoles, and this is one of them. Uh, it's technically not a console. It's um, it's a Java platform, so it's using just Java code, which is yeah, programming oh, okay. code. And uh, you could you you could kind of put the chip into different systems, whether it was uh, a TV, personal digital assistants, printers, even somehow. <laughs> I think anything that had a screen could load J2ME on it, and then I guess the J2ME could load games on it. That's that's as much as I could understand from this. But uh, yeah, I don't think this is used anymore. I can safely say that most of the 8.3 million units of this game were not sold on the J2ME. <laughs> I think the majority of them were on probably the console uh, versions, which uh, you guys must have played back in the day. Sorry, I don't have a huge history with the Lego games, but I do love Lego, so I can fit into this uh, conversation pretty well. According to Metacritic, this is the best Lego game of all time. It has the highest Metacritic score. So uh, I guess we can talk about that. Uh, how, how do you think this game compares to other Lego games or other Star Wars games in the series? I, I disagree because the complete saga has this and it has the first Lego mm. Star Wars, so there's more there. So true, Ex- exactly. I was literally going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. We we have it all in a bundle, and it's even you know the graphically upresed a bit too. So yeah, I think that should be the highest uh, rated Metacritic game for Lego Star Wars. But uh, yeah, original trilogy. So you did you own this back in the day then? I did. I believe I played it. I, I believe I played both of them actually the first time on the Xbox because that was during my Star Wars Xbox period where I was trying to collect all the Star Wars game on Xbox. Uh, and it was it's actually bigger and it, the environments were more detailed than the the first Lego Star Wars. Like if you played the first Lego Star Wars, the levels are kind of simplistic uh, compared to the original trilogy where the environments are uh, a lot larger and I think the levels are actually longer too. Yep. If I remember yeah it's definitely it's it's literally just a more fleshed out version of the lego star wars the video game the one that has the prequel trilogy in it and then yeah a very late late gamecube game as neil said september 2006 the wii i believe had just come out Mm -hmm. or was going to come out so i thought that was a interesting that it didn't actually get a release for the wii but it got a release for the gamecube really strange yeah, that was an interesting move. It is a very late GameCube game. I'm surprised that it could have been a great Wii launch game, but I guess that they... You can play the GameCube game on the Wii. I guess that that's probably what they were thinking at that point. Like, it's, uh, it's going to work. <laughs> it's going to work regardless. But uh, it did come out on quite a few consoles as it is. And uh, this was actually a budget title. The Lego games, I'm not sure if they all were. Certainly not the ones in the previous generations, but 
uh, at least Lego Star Wars, the first game, it was a $30 game back in the day. So it's interesting now that we've come to a time when the Lego games, they're no longer like a budget title that little kids pick up or parents get for their kids. It's now a game that uh, you get from EB Games and it's uh, it's $79.99, I believe was the newest game. So these, these have come a long way from being like kind of little budget titles with goofy humor to fully blown games that probably, I'm assuming the Lego Skywalker Saga uh, will probably take upwards of 30 to 40 hours to 100% because there's a lot in those games, in that game. I just wish you could play that game and like not have to play through a certain movie that shall not be named. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, another thing I would like to mention about the gameplay is that the game focuses, you have two characters, usually yourself and you have a AI uh, controlled character that you can switch between the two characters or you can play with a partner and one of the fun things about it is is the life system is set up through these huts and it's like four hits and then you're, you're dead um however you can like beat on your character like if you have a certain character uh, i don't agree with this that you you could beat <laughs> up on or if you're playing with a friend or a sibling or a parent you can beat up on each other and have like this mini combat thing so <laughs> that is always been my favorite thing about the lego star wars games and i was so happy that skywalker saga still had it in there because I was just going around and, and, and killing Gungans in the first level <laughs> <laughs> when I was playing the Skywalker saga. And that was that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it's it's especially when you're playing co-op, it's it's so much fun to, to fight the other person you're playing with just for fun. Like, you know, you just get a couple of whacks in there, have a little mini <laughs> lightsaber battle between you and uh, if you're Obi-Wan and the and your your friend is um is Qui-Gon. Like that was always really fun to me. And I still love doing that today, but yeah, <laughs> I can be a little crazy and just go go on killing people. And then they, 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 the way they die is always so funny too, because they like break apart like a Lego character. Mm -hmm. Or you yeah. can push them off the edge. <laughs> yeah, that too. And there is never like a game over screen in a Lego game, right? Like characters never fully die or you never restart the level again. You might just lose some bits, I suppose, to, to mm -hmm. kind of keep going. But yeah, the games are very forgiving in that. They, they would be very different if they actually made these games difficult. Um, th th that's always been my like barrier to entry for these games is always like, I feel like I would just kind of fall asleep because they'll just be too easy. I wish that there was like a difficulty setting in, in, uh, in Lego games where you can make it harder. And I feel like that the, the way to make these games harder is if you go for the 100% completion, uh, have, have either of you ever tried to, or have you ever 100%ed a Lego game? Oh yeah. I, I, I did a hundred percent on complete saga back in the day. I re I recently that's... played it on steam a couple of years ago. But because I'm an adult and adult responsibilities and I don't have the time, I was never able to get 100% again. But yeah, I was able to. I I also believe I'd have to check my DS file for that. <laughs> I haven't opened a DS in a while, but uh, I believe I did 100% it because for a while that was the only game I would take with me on road trips. And I remember a couple levels that took a long time to finish, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure I got 100% or at least very close to it much more convenient than building actual legos in the car which your parents must have been thrilled with you could finally play with lego without making one hell of a mess in the back seat building legos in the car is like the most chaotic thing i've ever heard if anyone does that oh my god no maybe this is a a fever dream but i'm pretty sure this was the case but couldn't you build your own character in complete saga Yep. Yes, you could. I believe you could. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's something on the back of the case. There's like a picture of Darth Vader wearing the slave Leia suit or her costume from episode six. Uh, so yeah, oh, yeah, you can, you can kind of swap out characters' heads with bodies with legs and weapons. So yeah, there is that character creation. 
Uh, it wasn't full customization, no. but it was like, yeah, you could like take parts that they already had and just like swap them, basically, like you said, yeah. So, so, so basically, it was Darth Hutt's player Vader. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh man, I don't want to think about that reality. Uh, one more thing about these games too that I I like I like about Lego games in general is that they all have like a hub world that kind of you go and pick your level from. Uh, in uh, in the original game, it's Dexter's Diner from Episode Two. In the complete trilogy, it's uh, it's the Cantina Bar on Moz Eisley. I think that the Dexter's Bar or the Dexter's Diner from Episode Two was an interesting hub location for that game because from the prequel trilogy, that wasn't really like an iconic location. I would say it's like a it was a very important scene in episode two, but I feel like that they could have picked a different spot. Like maybe the Jedi temple would have been cool. That was what I was thinking. Yeah. Can you guys think of something else? I kind of disagree with that. I, I think it was one of the things that really st- stood out because it was unique in the setting of Star Wars, Dexter's Diner compared to like other things, you know, it just was so unique. And I remember there was a lot of conversation and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't say necessarily I agree with that. Um, but it would be cool maybe if you had, like, a, yeah, the, the Jedi Council. Yeah, I, I just can't think of anything that really quite has that finance. Yeah, I just felt like that the, the Jedi Temple was probably the most iconic location from the prequel trilogy. In terms of, like, they went back to that spot in all three films. Now, like, the, the Cantina Bar uh, on Mos Eisley, that was only in the first film in A New Hope. So not quite the same, but still, like I, I feel like the Dexter's uh, Diner, I keep wanting to say Dexter's Lab, uh, but Dexter's <laughs> Diner from episode two, like it was it was a cool scene. Like, yeah, you're totally right. It was very important for the film and for the trilogy, but I, I just think that they could have done that. Or or even like the, um, like the pod racing, somewhere like in the pod racing stadium would have been cool. Just something a little bit more iconic to the trilogy, but... Yeah, it is what it is. It didn't ruin the game at all. It still did very well, sold incredibly well, and uh, started a crazy Lego franchise. Uh, to this day, there have been 34 licensed Lego games since 2001. The very first one being Lego creator Harry Potter, the most recent one being Skywalker Saga. And I'm sure that we'll see more Lego games in the near future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we definitely will. And, uh, you know, last thing I want to say, we should have the area where Anakin kills all the younglings in episode three <laughs> as the main hub with younglings obviously still lying there dead. Oh my god. Was that a scene in that game? Nah. Uh I think it was just a cutscene. A lot of those kind of battle scenes are kind of cutscenes often in the Lego yeah. games. That's probably one criticism of the Lego games that I'll say, because it is definitely for kids, so they kind of try and keep the the action quite light. But you know, other than that, it's still they're still fantastic games. And I think, Neil, it's time for you to read the back of the case for both these games. All right, sounds good. We'll hit the back of the case for Lego Star Wars, the video game. All the characters, all the action, all the fun. It could be the coolest thing ever happened. Sorry. It could be the coolest thing to ever happen to mankind. That's from Game Informer. Battle your way through episodes 1, 2, and 3, Revenge of the Sith. Lightsaber duels, blaster battles, special moves, and starfighter chases. Use the Force and use the Force to move and transform Lego objects, overcome obstacles, and defeat your enemies. From Anakin and Yoda to Darth Maul and even General Grievous, control over 30 of your favorite characters. That's right. What's interesting about those games, too, is that they came out, I believe, before the third movie came out, so they had to use music from the original trilogy because they didn't want to put out any licensed music from the new movie, so that's a fun fact there. You'll hear old Star Wars soundtracks from, from that game. 
Then we had LEGO Star Wars 2, the original trilogy. Build and battle through the original trilogy. Play through a fun Star Wars galaxy that combines the endless customization of LEGO with the epic story from Star Wars Episodes 4 through 6. We can all agree that the Star Wars trilogy had taught us all Roman numerals, right? <laughs> that and Rocky. That's kind of how I learned my sure. Roman numerals. <laughs> that and Rocky, of course, of course. But yeah, uh, let's move on now to the next game we're going to be talking about with Jedi Geek Girl, which is uh, a confusing title, Jedi Outcast. But uh, what's the full title, Neil? Yeah, Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast was released on November 20th, 2002. This game was developed by Vicarious Visions, who make the Crash uh, Nitro Kart and tons of Game Boy Advance games, published by LucasArts. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, Mac, OS X, Switch, and PS4 ports. Priced today at around $35, this game rates an 8 out of 10, and it's an action-adventure slash first-person shooter. And uh, the movie takes place, is it right after episode 4 or episode 6? I forget where it takes place in the timeline. Uh, Jedi Outcast takes place after episode 6. Six. Okay, perfect. Sorry, yeah. It's it's like it's uh, I guess the sequel before this. Well, I mean, it's not canon anymore, but uh, in in my eyes, it would be kind of before or during the sequel trilogy. But yes, uh, Jedi Knight Two, Jedi Outcast, um, uh, Jedi Geek Girl. What's your experience with just the series in general? Because this is now the second uh, game in the series. So to uh, be a push up my glasses here um it takes place <laughs> shortly after jedi academy which takes place about the the book series which takes place about seven years ish after return of the jedi so it's not quite in the sequel trilogy time frame but i see where you're going um my experience with this game is just like the lego star wars games was actually on xbox because again this was during my collect everything star wars play everything star wars and xbox had the best lineup series and it was i absolutely loved the multiplayer so i was obsessed with the multiplayer aspect of it where you could have a force user and like pick your abilities and fight against like computer force users or yourself and there wasn't too much engaging for me regarding the story i don't know if you want to uh, uh, the game but gameplay i don't know if you want me to dive into that quite yet but basically when it comes to what stood out to me about this game it was definitely the multiplayer aspect yeah, I think that is definitely the the best part about this game. I I played this game. I never played it back in the day. I played it for the Nintendo Switch. It recently got launched on the Switch, like many other older Star Wars games, uh, like Kotor, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which I played and absolutely loved once again. But I had never played Jedi Outcast. I I wanted to give it a try, check it out before this episode, of course. So I bought it. It was pretty cheap too. And uh, I found this game really hard. I'm not sure if you found this uh, the same difficulty level. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is a game that, I, I don't know, this was before your your, your time, showing my age here. <laughs> um, this was back during the time. It, it, it has that very 90s gameplay design where, like, the original Dark Forces and I think Doom was kind of like this. Hexen was kind of like it where you dropped into it and there's no really... They, they, they don't tell you where to go and stuff. You have to figure it out. And, and in the environment, you have to... Like, sometimes you could be walking and you might miss a door. You don't know it. There's a level in Jedi Outcast where you got to work your way up and then go through a garbage disposal and you have to look yep. for clues. And I, I haven't beaten it. I haven't beaten it yet. Uh, but I did 
play it on the Switch like you did. And yeah, it was kind of hard. It was it was very discouraging. And uh, when I was played it when I was younger, I used cheat codes to level hop because you don't start, <laughs> you, you don't start the game with your lightsaber. Yes, and that's the hardest part about this game. It takes a while to get into uh, because just it, there's a lot of different sections that are kind of grueling to go through. And yeah, you do have to. I had to look stuff up and. I was like, oh my god, this, uh, I've definitely been spoiled with, like, new games because yeah. they do ha- hold your hand a lot. This one definitely does not. But the lightsaber uh, battling, other than the multiplayer, I would say, is probably the best part about this game. Just the lightsaber gameplay is really smooth, even for today. Uh, I honestly, I think this might be the best lightsaber battling I've played. Uh, Fallen or- uh, Jedi Fallen Order is pretty good, too, just because it's a modern game. But yeah, it was... Uh, that part of the game was really good, for sure. Yeah, for the time, like the lightsaber battling is really, it's really progressive. Like we didn't really have that much, really, in in any Star Wars games up until this no. point. Like on N sixty four, I don't think that there's any. I'm trying to think, other than uh, Shadow of the Empire, Rogue Squadron, uh, Battle for Naboo. There's not really much lightsaber battling there, and then we had Clone Wars. Uh, uh, on GameCube, which has some lightsaber battles in it, but it's pretty hack and slashy. Uh, on other consoles, we had KOTOR, which that isn't really traditional lightsaber battling. It's more just hold down A and hit the other player. Uh, this one really did kind of flesh out uh, sword fighting, which is really neat. Um, but yeah, there, there is like a difficulty spike to this game, which we have been spoiled by new games because especially in the seventh generation of hardware with the PS3 and Xbox 360 with Force Unleashed, that is like like a, a pretty easy game to get through. It's You can pretty much just hit X the entire time and, and you'll find your way through it. One thing that uh, I found very interesting is the plot of this game. Now, being a GameCube uh, owner, we didn't have the first game to play, so I guess we we were just kind of lost on what what the heck was yeah. happening. We didn't get Jedi Knight 1 on the GameCube. Um, but uh, the main character, Kyle Katarn, uh, is returning uh, from, from the original game, and uh, he must return to his Jedi ways to stop a branch of Imperial remnants led by the d- dark Jedi Dasan from empowering their army with the Force, and this character has cut himself off from his connection to the Force, which, that reminds me a lot of the plot from uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, yeah. Like it's basically oh, yeah. the exact same plot setup, how the character, your character in that game, you start off as a, you're basically working on this scrap pile, and you've cut yourself off from the Force, and you have to reconnect with it in order to uh, to save the day, as it were. I think uh, one of the things that were unique about this game is you had to do this trial to get your lightsaber. And that was mm-hmm. something that was so unique. And I don't know if we even have it in any present day games. I mean, obviously in KOTOR, you know, you get your weapon. But in Jedi Outcast, you had this level where you were on Yavin and you had to use all the different aspects of the force to get through this course. And then at the end, in order to get your lightsaber back, it was very unique. It's, it's very unique to have a level that's just essentially like your typical training scene in an actual gaming level. Well, it's cool because in the prequel trilogy, they talk about the trials of becoming a Jedi a lot. We never see them, and they, they talk about it all the time, like in, in books and whatnot, and, and, and in video games too, and it was nice to finally see it. We did mm-hmm. see, finally see it in Episode Nine, but th- this this game did it 15 years before that. So they didn't, they didn't really have anything to go by in terms of films because we never got to see Anakin whining about you know being ready for the trials in episode two and everyone's kind of like shrugging wondering what that even means so yeah it was cool that they had it hidden in this video game really neat uh neat idea another thing i want to go into quickly is is Mm. the the franchise uh jedi Mm. knight 2 
Jedi Outcasts, actually, I believe, the third game in the series because you had Dark Forces, then you had Dark oh, yes. Forces 2, Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, and you had Jedi Academy. Right. Yeah, Star Wars games at this time had the worst naming conventions. I will go on record with that. Yeah. My God. It was so uh, frustrating to figure out what games were what. Like, the, of course, there's, um, you know, we're going to, we, are going to be talking about it later with Rogue Squadron 3, Re- Rebel Strike, and then we had Rogue Squadron True, Rogue Leader. Yep. Like, the, the very confusing names, and uh, yeah, tough time to be the naming person at Star Wars. I guess whoever was the naming person here went on to do the Xbox naming. Even cause... the Lego games were horribly <laughs> named, too. Like, Lego Star yeah. Wars, the video game. Lego Star Wars 2, the trilogy. It's like, what What does this mean? Like, it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't explain it at all. But yeah, as of 2003, there are only five games in the series from 1995 to 2003. I kind of feel like that Fallen Order has kind of become the spiritual successor to this series, though. I I'm a, sure. I hope that the sequel does well. That was a nice surprise back in 2017, 2018 when that came out. Just after what we had, just after what we had from EA with Battlefront One and Two coming out to kind of, we all know what happened there. It was nice to have like an actual first person <laughs> linear story to to go through with the uh, with the main characters and the new characters too. Like I love that they were starting to expand from the Skywalker series. In video games, I would like it more in the shows and, and the movies, but at least the video games have the balls to uh, to do it, to, to do some new stuff. Yeah, I would love to see, you know, this series come back in a way as well. Like, uh, I know, like you said, Fallen Order probably has taken the mantle, but just... Uh, this this lightsaber, uh, the trials and everything, and just the combat was so unique at the time. I would love to see a remaster of this. We are getting a remake of, uh, or I guess a remake of this. We are getting a remake of KOTOR, of course, mm-hmm. coming maybe next year. But this would be another cool one to do. Maybe like put it in like just a big package of one big game. Although this game is long. This game takes a long time to beat just because of the difficulty. Uh, and the the one thing that I really don't love about this game, we're going to have another guest coming on too to talk about this. And we'll see what he says as well but um for me jedi geek girl uh i really hated the shooting uh in this game the first person shooting aspects yeah yeah i i can definitely agree with that and you you were just talking and i was just thinking like it wouldn't quite be the same but it would be nice if we had a game with a jedi on the run like you begin the game mm-hmm. uh where you're in the middle of a war and then the next then order 66 happen and the rest of the game you're on the run Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. That'd be so I cool. I would love that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they would be. I guess, yeah, they'd just be avoiding getting killed, basically. And, like, maybe there's bounties on, on your head. Like, that. They, oh, they could have a ton of fun doing that with Order 66. And, and you could have Darth Vader. You could have just anything yeah. with Darth Vader is good. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you could just have more Vader in that sense. I mean, they did him so perfectly in Jedi Fallen Order, but. Oh, yeah. That was, I mean, that's that's worth the price of a mission alone is. is is being able to fight Vader and see Vader like that. Before that, I was like pretty ho hum on the game, and then when that happened, I was like, okay, okay, this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> this is I enjoy this now. Yeah, having Vader as like almost a side character is just as cool of him having having him as a main character, like him appearing at the end of Rogue One. I wish that that was his only scene in Rogue One, but that end scene in Rogue One is iconic. Like I love that. It would be just oh, it's so I watch that. That's another Star Wars scene that I watch <laughs> just to boost serotonin levels sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I watched that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a probably monthly one for me. I uh, I am a little. Crazy crazy because i will like when i'm working from home i will just put like reels of star wars scenes in the background <laughs> while i'm while i'm working which can be quite dangerous because obviously you, you can go down rabbit holes with that i need to give a shout out though to the jedi knights i need to get the title here it's so weird jedi knight 2 jedi outcast uh we we've talked about a lot of gamecube games in the last year and a half or almost two years now and we've talked about a couple of zelda games and the sword fighting in those games are obviously really tight 
there aren't any other games from this generation, or at least on the GameCube, that we've talked about where the sword fighting stands out, so I do need to give a shout out to this game for actually perfecting that, because most other games that had swords in this day were just hack and slashes, or attempted hack and slashes that weren't very good, so we do need to highlight that that was probably a big highlight of the single player campaign for this game. I found I also enjoyed playing this game on with a GameCube controller. Oh. Because so I was playing it at first with the Switch controller and then I switched to no pun intended, switched <laughs> to playing it on a GameCube controller on my Switch and uh the the combat felt even better with it. It felt like it was definitely made for the the controller in some ways. I was uh, I, I found myself getting through things a little faster, and maybe that's just because I'm, I know the GameCube controller even better uh, than the, the Switch Pro controller, but still, uh, you know, they did a good job with it. I just want to make a quick shout out here that, uh, in my opinion, I prefer Jedi Academy, the sequel to this game. Uh, yeah. So I don't want to get into it because we're not talking about the game, but I highly recommend like if you like Jedi Outcast or you want to know more about Jedi Outcast to do Jedi Academy. Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up because we didn't get the first game in the series and then we didn't get a sequel to this game (laughs) in the series on the GameCube or on the Wii. Like it was it's such a random addition. And for that reason, Mike and I, we go to a lot of retro video game stores here in Toronto and I rarely see this game anywhere. Uh, These kind of spinoff Star Wars games are hard to find. The Lego games are easy to find, but this one is is rare. I don't know how well it's sold, but it's just random that this is the only one that we got on Nintendo hardware. I I can't stand it when like a fraction of a trilogy yeah. or a, a five elegy shows up on a console and then they never show their face again. It's it's frustrating. So okay. you can now play the Jedi Knight Jedi Academy on the Switch though. So that is mm-hmm. nice. So yeah, sure. I definitely also recommend that one. I think that one is probably the better game. Uh, does it have the same lightsaber uh, mechanics? I think the mechanics are a little bit better. Like, you get into this, it's been like a year or two years since I played this game, but mm-hmm. in Jedi Academy, if you're fighting a, an opponent with a lightsaber, you'll get like into this mini lightsaber clash, uh, paralyzed state, where you have to push your lightsaber against them to win the battle, or they'll push it against you, and I don't know if that was particularly in Jedi Outcast. Um, I remember the gameplay play being kind of simplistic, but back in the day, I was absolutely love it so Mm. i think it was better but it's it's been a couple years anything to make yourself wield a lightsaber is probably just going to be just gets you a couple of extra points in a video game at this point honestly yeah yeah like it's it is this game outcast is a a bit of a slog but once you do have that lightsaber it, it really opens up for sure but that's a really cool thing that I think that uh, what we were talking about there, where if you were to make a standalone Jedi game of a Jedi on the run from Order 66, I would love there to be more um, mind trick Jedi uh, yes. elements in a game. And I have a feeling that they're going to probably put that into that new like Heavy Rain style Star Wars game that's probably going to come out in 2030. Um, but like having the ability to like force trick people's minds is a really cool thing that you don't see in video games at all, let alone Star Wars games. So I hope that they incorporate that somehow into a, into a future Star Wars game. I hope so too. And maybe we'll see it. Maybe we won't. But uh, Jedi Geek Girl, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything else about Outcast or the Lego Star Wars games or Star Wars in general that you'd like to bring up before we let you go? I highly recommend that you play all of these games, but I... Like I said before, if you're going to play the original Lego Star Wars game to play the complete saga instead mm-hmm. of trying to pick up these two versions on the GameCube. However, if you're going strictly for the GameCube, I mean, obviously you have to get both of them. But if you have a different system or if you have Steam, definitely pick up the collect- series, the collection saga. And 
Jedi Outcast, sure, you can play it, but I recommend Academy more. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And personally, I had an amazing time playing the complete saga on the DS. And <laughs> I mean, so uh, playing it handheld is great. And I think that's the, one of the big reasons why I wanted to get the Skywalker saga so that I could play it handheld on my Switch. But yeah, we will now give this uh, give you this time to plug anything that you're doing and plug yourself. Sure, people can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl on Twitter Instagram, etc. They can find my past podcast, which has not had a new episode in a year and a half, but might be getting a new episode with a certain couple of guests talking about a certain GameCube game in depth. Ooh. So hopefully I can get through that. But you can find my podcast everywhere by searching I Rebel, a Star Wars podcast. And there's over a hundred episodes. Uh, the last like 20 episodes are specifically about Star Wars. So if you want di- to dive into like the original Night of the Old Republic video game or the Bane trilogy or even the films, I highly recommend you listen because the podcast is still out there to listen to. So. And you're also extremely active on our Discord channel, which we really appreciate, by the way. We, we have a fun time chatting with uh, you and a bunch of uh, other of our listeners on there about Star Wars and about video games in general. So uh, thank you for being so active over on that thread, too. We appreciate it because Mike and I don't always have the time to check Discord on a daily basis. So it's fun to interact with, with you and a bunch of our other listeners on a daily basis, too. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate your insight on Star Wars. You must you must be really excited for some of the Star Wars things coming up with new video games and, of course, Obi-Wan coming out later on this month and all the other series that will be hopefully hitting Disney Plus in the next year or two. Oh, yeah. I'm an addict. I have issues. But, <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait for Kenobi. That is, like, yeah. made for my generation and our generation. Yep. I am, oh, my God. And uh, The High <laughs> Republic, I highly recommend looking into that. It is new, fresh, original storytelling taking place 200 years before the prequel trilogy. They just completed Phase 1, so you can get caught up on the whole story. And yeah, I don't want to keep you guys here because I could talk all day about Star Wars because I have <laughs> issues. That's <laughs> uh, okay. So could we. This is this is why this episode is going to be three hours. But uh, yeah, thank you again, Jedi Geek Girl, for coming on today. We really appreciate all your knowledge about Star Wars and the universes that we will be talking about. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you again very soon. My honor. Thank you. Love you guys. Can't wait till next time. For sure. Talk to you again real soon. See you later. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Jedi Geek Girl, for coming on today and talking about Star Wars. Of course, it's in her name. Jedi is... She knows a lot about Star Wars, more than us. And I thought that was hard to find someone like that uh, for a while there, Neil. And I realized that there are lots of people who know way more about Star Wars than I do and uh, love it uh, as much or even more than me. So it's great to have her on to talk about... Uh, these games in depth and of course we could have talked to her for hours uh, about these games and about this series in general but I don't feel like editing five hours of footage this time Neil yeah three hours for one episode is more than enough I'm, I'm gonna be interested to see how a podcast this long goes but I'm very happy that we were able to get her to come on and and a couple other uh, callers too to talk about Star Wars because like you said we're big fans of the series but I can definitely admit that I'm like a mid-tier Star Wars fan like I definitely enjoy everything and I watch everything that comes out but like I end up not liking the majority of Star Wars things that comes out. So like, I can't, I can't honestly call myself a Star Wars fanboy. Like, I love, I love all the memories that it's given me and all the friendships that it's allowed me to build on this franchise. Like, you and I bonded over Star Wars when we were young, 
with yeah. lightsaber battles and even trying to make our own little SpongeBob Star Wars thing. So uh, <laughs> yeah, like it, it brings so many people together, old and new. I love seeing little kids with Star Wars, you know, figurines and everything. So. Uh, but yeah, I can't. I can't necessarily say that I know everything about the series. I'd be terrified to go head to. T- I'd be terrified to go toe to toe with someone who knows everything about the trilogy and the lore. But we do have another caller to join us today, Mike, to talk more about Jedi Knight Two Jedi Academy. Sorry, to talk more about Jedi Knight Two Jedi Outcast. So uh, why don't we let them on? Who's joining us today? All right, Neil, and joining us today, our last caller of the day is Marcello, and we last had him on for Sonic and Shadow Games. Of course, he is at GameCube Galaxy. He has a wonderful YouTube channel where he basically does what we do, but on YouTube and way more in-depth for some of the games, so we really appreciate his channel over there. Please check it out, and we're very happy to have him back to talk about some Star Wars games today. And since it is Star Wars Day, uh, we need to ask you, what's your favorite Star Wars game of all time? Ooh, of all time. Um, honestly, I'm going to say my favorite Star Wars game of all time is Star Wars Shadows of the Empire on the N64. Nice. Wow. Good pick. Nice. That was the very first. I remember when we got an N64, uh, we didn't get Mario 64 immediately. Uh, it was sold out, I guess, at the time when we got it for that Christmas, my brother and I. But we got Star Wars Shadows of the Empire and Mortal Kombat Trilogy. And Star Wars was the first game we popped in. And I remember we were just like, our minds were shattered seeing this game on the screen coming from the 16-bit generation to this. Yeah, right. Uh, was mind-blowing. But to this day, it might be the nostalgia glasses, but I love that game, despite as rough as it is now. It's tough to go back to now. Yeah. I just love how it was either like uh, Mortal Kombat, Mario 64, <laughs> Shadow of the Empire. It's like one of these doesn't fit. <laughs> well, this was a really that was a really early N64 game, right? Because it was that it was. was like a Christmas of '96 game, and the N64 only launched with two games, so it was kind of tough to be an N64 fan earlier on. It was definitely that was definitely one of those consoles where, like, if you got it in '99, 2000, you were set because everything was out at that point. But if you were a day one, or you really had to kind of chop through the the BS <laughs> at the beginning there, or wait for the good stuff to come out. But Shadow of the Empire is one of those games where at the time it was very revolutionary. That's one of the first 3D Star Wars games on console. And it introduced so many interesting characters from the book that Mike and I both love. Like I think IG-88 is in there too, who's a really cool character who we finally got to see a little bit more of in The Mandalorian. So that's a great choice. I I love that choice. Yeah. No, like I said, it was definitely revolutionary. I'm glad to hear that you guys read the book as well as I did. Um, I feel like not a lot of people read the book. Usually if if I mention Shadows of the Empire, they're like, oh yeah, the game. But forgetting that there was a whole book to it and there was also a soundtrack cd that was composed for the book for the game oh wow um, oh i didn't know that no yeah a lot of the several of the songs used in the game uh, are f- from a separate composed soundtrack by joel mcneely i believe is the composer's name oh very cool i did not know that that's very neat yeah we also have another question for you and we would like to see what your ranking is for star wars movies from top to bottom, let's say episode five, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Then I would pick episode four, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I'm gonna I know it's gonna be controversial, but episode three. This okay. is this is looking exactly like my list so far. I was gonna say, <laughs> controversial. Less like mine, more like Mike's list. Yeah. <laughs> um then I'm going to say episode one. Okay. Okay. I know a lot of people hated it, but uh, the fight scene at the end for me makes up for like yep. everything in that movie. We both uh, have episode one pretty high up too for that very reason. <laughs> yep. um, then I would say episode six, mm-hmm. okay. episode seven, two, and eight. 
good good i like that <laughs> I, I just like what the, i was like what are the last two that's really what i care about yeah. when someone makes a star wars list i'm like the last two matter and uh, i have i have eight and then two for mine i believe two is like unwatchable for me but uh yeah they're both they're both pretty bad i switch on days depending on so good good list good list thank you and i'm a last jedi guy i actually like the last jedi so uh I, that's that's where neil and i's lists converge is or diverge i should say uh but, okay but other than that our lists are almost identical marcello so i i was i'm very happy to see that uh and and with rogue one and solo where would you put those so rogue one i remember being pretty surprised with actually mm-hmm. yep. um I, and I'll be honest, I have not watched Solo. And I've heard I've heard mixed, but I've heard more so that people said it was more enjoyable than they expected rather than it being bad. So I do need to just sit down and watch that. I just never got around to it. But I think it's been one of those things that I feel like everything Disney has done with Star Wars has kind of just like destroyed my childhood with Star Wars, <laughs> except for The Mandalorian. And, yep. and Rogue One, actually, because like I said, the finale of Rogue One definitely makes that movie... Um, yeah. And then, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at with Star, Disney, with Star Wars, kind of ruining a lot of things that I loved about Star Wars in the past. Yeah, you're you're among friends here. We wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with basically what you just said. Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely with The Mandalorian being, especially the second season, being very good. And we mm-hmm. love Rogue One. Uh, like you said, the, the Darth Vader scene at the end is basically what makes that movie for me. Watch that constantly because it's so good. Uh, <laughs> and It's just a badass scene. The way you just see him come in, I'm like, this is awesome. The whole, the whole movie. <laughs> too like it has stakes in it and it's with yes. real people like that's one of the things yes. about the prequels that's really annoying is that you've got this clone army so you've got these basically meaningless people against droids which aren't living so you've got two sides that are basically not living things <laughs> fighting it's like why what why is this fun uh but in, in politics Ro- politics is why it's <laughs> but Ro- but rogue one they introduce all these characters who have been fighting in this war their families have been ripped apart and they just want to basically stick it to the empire like Literally. Uh, And, you know, stealing the Death Star plan, something that we've heard about since episode four. Like, the ending scene is amazing, but the two hours leading up to it is also really well done, too. I had it at number two for in in terms of Star Wars films on my list. But, uh, yeah, I have it very high up. It's always been number two for me since it came out. It, It jumped right up there for me, so... Yeah, and of yeah. course, Empire Strikes Back is number one for us as well. But uh, we can talk about the Star Wars movies for days. We've already talked about it for hours. So let's <laughs> jump into the first game we'll be talking about with you, which is just Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Of course, another confusing name here. What What's your first memories of playing this game? Uh, honestly, my first memory of playing this game, I was at my friend's house and he had the Xbox version, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember we played the multiplayer together. And we're just messing around, just doing lightsaber battles against each other. And it was a lot of, it was good fun for me back then, for sure. It was not until probably 2019 that I finally got myself a copy of the game on the GameCube. Nice. And finally got around to playing it. And I really enjoyed it because I was a huge fan of Jedi Knight 1 on the PC. It's one of the very few PC games I actually played through entirely uh, and like was really engrossed in. So... Re- like playing through Jedi Knight 2 it, it was kind of it, it took me a little bit to get used to it because I forgot that the gameplay style was a lot of environmental puzzles and exploration yes. as opposed to just full on action which is which is fine I just I wasn't I wasn't used to that uh, I wasn't expecting that at the time when I was playing it because of all the more modern games I've played at the time and I had the same kind of thing too there was is if you're we're really spoiled by modern games in terms of hand holding and as well just like how the controls and the gameplay are like I personally found this game very very hard 
it is not an easy game because even when I was replaying it and capturing footage for my upcoming episode on Wednesday, uh, I was getting wrecked. <laughs> there were scenes of going in. I'm like, wow, yep. I'm dying really quick. And I'm actually playing this on easy just so I can capture footage. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not putting invincibility on, but wow, I'm getting really wrecked over here. And, and that um, was a really interesting thing at the time because we talked about this with our last caller is that like sword fighting games in this generation, like they we weren't at the Dark Souls era yet where like 3D sword fighting games that were difficult that come out or even really good sword fighting games had come out yet. Like a lot of the hack and slashy games of this generation were just that they were hack and slashy. They weren't meant to be like a rhythm. Like it wasn't, there wasn't like actual uh, strategy when you went into fights. It was just kind of go in and mash a, except for maybe the odd Zelda game that came out. This was really rare where the focus on swords play in a first person, uh, in a, in a, in a first person story game, not like a fighting game, uh, was front and center. So it definitely threw people off. And like you and Mike both kind of struggled your way through it. Uh, and even playing it to this day, like it's still, it holds up pretty well. I think the, the sword fighting, the, the lightsaber fighting mechanics, I should say. And that's what's interesting is, um, I was trying to remember when I was replaying it for the upcoming episode I've got that the sword, the lightsaber combat was not just like you said, like just mash the R trigger, just to keep attacking. Like mm-hmm. it was dependent on how you move the analog stick to, simulate your swing and you could not go into a fight with another jedi just sla- like slashing pushing the arm trick like all day long like you can't like you have to actually pay attention to their animation and like you said it's it was at a time before these souls games where people would try to pay attention to their animation frames when a person's gonna attack how they're gonna attack like it, it, it for its time it was actually really ahead mm-hmm. and we had not really seen anything like it Oh, yeah. Like, this is by far the most innovative part of this game. Like, very unique, and we never saw another thing like this on the GameCube. Honestly, like, even since, there aren't a lot of really good sword fighting games and obviously lightsaber games uh, that Mm -hmm. have, have ever come close to this. I think this is probably, you know, pound for pound, the best lightsaber style game you'll ever find. I argue that the the fallen jet fallen order is a pretty good. It's pretty close. It comes the closest, yes. I think. It but comes after the this one, it does. But like after this one, we had the Force Unleashed games on Xbox and and PlayStation and Wii, and those games are fun, but they're definitely way more arcadey than something like uh, Jedi Knight. Agreed. And, and as much as I enjoyed the Force Unleashed games, um, I played the PS3 versions. I never played the first one for the Wii that just got remastered for the Switch. Mm. Uh, that I know is supposed to be different. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Well>, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's getting very good reviews. I think that the PS3 and the 360 version are the way to go, unfortunately. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but I will say Jedi Fallen Order was probably my next favorite Star Wars game since like Shadows of the Empire, just because mm. of it. I was actually not expecting it to be as high quality until I saw who was attached to the project and even who the director was attached to the project being uh, the former director of God of War 3. And going into Jedi Fallen Order, I was excited, and I'm like, it actually lived up to my expectations. I thought the combat was excellent, the story was excellent. Um, I was, it was one of the, it was a long time coming for me to get engrossed into a Star Wars game like that. That's fair. Yeah, that is yeah. very fair because we haven't had a great string of, uh, of Star Wars games uh, really since uh, this era, uh, mm-hmm. since Rogue Squadron Two being probably one of the best Star Wars games ever made. But yeah, yes. Jedi Outcast, it's an interesting game. Neil mentioned it earlier on in the episode, but uh, it's interesting that we only got this uh, this part, I guess, the, the, the second entry into the Jedi Knight series on GameCube and nothing else. Well, yeah, because Jedi Knight 1 came out in the late 90s, so it was before the GameCube. Mm-hmm. And unless they did a remaster effort, 
it kind of made sense they didn't bring it. But then what was odd was the omission of Jedi Academy, which came out in the original Xbox. Yes. And just never got the GameCube treatment. And I don't know if that was also because of just maybe lower sales of Jedi Knight 2 on the GameCube versus the Xbox. I mean, it could have been one of the reasons. It's a shame because I agree. It's... I would have loved to see Jedi Academy also come to the GameCube as well. Yeah, it would have been nice. Like, it happened again with uh, with the Star Wars, the movie tie-ins too. Like, we got Clone Wars mm-hmm. on GameCube, but then we didn't get uh, the Revenge of the Sith. That went. I think that came out on PS3 and Xbox, but not GameCube. And it, you're you're right. You're probably right. I bet that these games did not sell super well on GameCube, except for maybe the the standalone or the exclusives, the the rogue the rogue leader games. Uh, I bet that a lot of these cross-platform games sold better on PS2 which was bringing in a lot of people from the Battlefront series, Xbox as well. I bet that yeah. Battlefront brought a lot of Star Wars fans over to those consoles, and then those fans just ended up buying the other spinoff games there as well and just left the GameCube behind. Yeah, which is a shame. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we still have Rogue Leader, yep. which is still probably the best-looking Star Wars <laughs> game of all time. <laughs> Nintendo fans will hold on to that fact until the day we die that we have Rogue Squadron 2 on GameCube. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and Neil, of course, this game is actually, uh, of all these games that we're talking about today, I think this is the only one that is in 1,001 video games you must play before you die. And I have a little quote here from it. Cool. All right, well, go right ahead. Please let us know what they have to say about this game. A run of Star Wars-themed games that failed to capture the kudos of the earlier Star Wars Dark Forces games caused a rethink at George Lucas's game studio. The new philosophy was simple. Get the most respected developers in specific genres and hand them the keys to the Star Wars universe. Who would turn down the chance to make a Star Wars game? Raven's experience from prior projects allowed the team to introduce fresh elements to the series, such as having characters occasionally fight along, uh, alongside Katarn. It also powered flashy new special effects, adding more sizzle to the Force power uh, as you visit locations such as Cloud City, the home of Lando, who we meet uh, in this game. Raven lived up to its billing as a leading FPS developer, crafting an experience that fits capably alongside the other highly regarded games in this series. Hmm. They always say it so eloquently. <laughs> they always do. I didn't realize that you get to go to Lando's home planet. That's kind of cool. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Lando, Billy D. Williams makes an appearance in this game. That's right. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome. Well, I think that that's probably good, though, for Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. Shall we hit the back of the case and then move on to our next game? Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Unleash the power of the Force. Wield over eight Force abilities, including the Jedi Mind Trick, Force Lightning, and Force Grip. Choose from an arsenal of 15 weapons, including the Lightsaber, Disruptor Rifle, Thermal Detonators, and Wookiee Bowcaster. Two-player split-screen games featuring dynamic AI opponents and additional Force powers. Special console editions include Mission at Alzoc 3, Bonus Level, and Nintendo GameCube optimized graphics and performance. Meet legendary characters such as Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian, featuring the voice of Billy D. Williams. Continuation of critically acclaimed Dark Forces Jedi Knight series. Thank you, Billy D. <laughs> but uh, this this game has something that we didn't really even talk about was the, the Jedi mind tricks like thing. That I wish that was in more just games in general. Oh yeah, that'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, I think we're good for Outcast. Let's move on, Neil, to Star Wars Bounty Hunter. Sure. Star Wars Bounty Hunter was released on December 7th, 2002, developed and published by LucasArts. This game is also on PS2. It's since been ported to PS3 and PS4, priced today at around $45. This game rates a 7 out of 10. Playboy gave the game a 72%, which is cool. And this is an action-adventure game, and it is a prequel to the Attack of the Clones movie, the movie that uh, Marcello and I both consider the worst movie. 
<laughs> oh, almost, almost worse. Last Jedi. Sorry, you're worse. almost. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm the worst. My bad. It's, it's down there. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, uh, Bounty Hunter is all about uh, our boy Django, and it was released the time with Attack of the Clones, uh, which was interesting. So, you know, a lot of these games were released around the same time, 2002, 2003. Of course, we talked about the Clone Wars, uh, or Attack of the Clones uh, game on the GameCube earlier in the episode. And um, yeah, Marcello, what's your experience with playing this game? I remember picking up Bounty Hunter at least a year after it came out. I remember it was on sale for like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I remember the reviews being fairly mixed. Lots of anywhere between five to seven range is what I saw. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those games. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me check it out. 20 bucks. Uh, kind of reminds me of like almost like the way Shadows of the Empire looked. I was hoping it was going to hit those notes. So basically, I decided to give it a shot. And I what I played, I liked. I did beat it. Um, I mean, it's not a great game, but what's there is actually a pretty solid game. I like the aspect that you got to explore more of the lore for Django and explore like the fact of how he got to slave one ship. Um, and just it was it was a pretty good story. And then it, I didn't realize it was actually from the same writer as the Force Unleashed one and two uh, Hayden Blackman. Huh. Oh, cool. And hmm. I mean, the gameplay I thought was pretty solid for the most part. I like the fact that Django had the dual blasters and you can actually lock on the two enemies at once or he was versatile yes. with his moveset where he can like shimmy on ledges pretty fast or use his jet pack uh you could pick up other enemies rifles which i thought was a nice touch it wasn't just like your blasters and your flamethrower and any other mandalorian tools and like i did like the variety the game had in terms of environments i liked mm-hmm. that you got to go to corsants or um you know like other locations even locations we'd never seen before uh especially the last level the last chapter i remember being feeling very different because it was kind of like a land of the dead, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. So it got it kind of got creepy because it was yeah. like huge hordes of enemy, like a pretty substantial amount of horde of enemies coming after you that would just decimate you in no time. Yeah. It, wow. the the whole game itself is actually i mean honestly all these games today are kind of in the same realm of there's a lot of really really good aspects in them mm-hmm. but overall they're kind of just not fully fleshed out it seems and uh which is which is too bad because yeah i i played bounty hunter i had never played it i played it this week to you know learn about the game and 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 check it out and there was a lot of things I liked about it, but there were other things that kind of just felt a little slow to me. The biggest thing that was, the, or the best thing for myself was the fact that I could use a jetpack. Yes. Like that, that made the game so much fun. Like when, when can you ever use jetpacks in games? And, yeah. And honestly, for Star Wars, the last time was Shadows of the Empire. True. If I'm not, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I probably, yeah. I mean... And I always like using uh, Boba Fett in uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 because he has the jetpack. You can, like, fly up to levels where, like, some Jedi could jump really high, too. But flying around as Boba Fett in Battlefront 2 was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Kind of cheesy how he got the, the jetpack. Like, he got it. Like, he basically stole it at gunpoint from a guy at, like, a trade <laughs> tent or something. Like, it was like, all right, is that how he got the armor? All right, I guess that's fine. <laughs> he looked really weird running around without the, uh, the jetpack for the first few levels, though. That was off-putting. And I was watching yes. it, and I was like something's wrong here. Like just looking at the character and I was like, oh yeah, he doesn't have the jetpack. It's kind of like seeing Samus without her armor. 
like it looks cool but like it's just something is wrong and uh, that's what it was so that was kind of it's neat that they got to explore a couple of the things about Django that we don't know about him in the movie like Marcello mentioned him getting his ship we also find out how he became a DNA donor for the clone army which Mm -hmm. that's something that might have been interesting to put into the movie but uh, (laughs) whatever (laughs) to make sales in the game hey you want to find out buy the game (laughs) I mean it's a huge question like it's a big decision on who you're going to base your entire army you're going to make billions of soldiers on this guy and we don't really ever know why and the reason is hidden in this video game so it's that's really funny oh my god (laughs) i will also say that the gamecube version of this game rates higher and is definitely the better way to play i watched Mm -hmm. a couple videos on ps2 versus gamecube versions and and how it works well for the gamecube version it has almost twice the amount of polygons uh, as the ps2 version which i thought was pretty crazy as well as the shadows the shadows for the gamecube are very way more realistic th- uh, than the ps2 version we we talked about the gamecube's engine and how they were really good at emulating shadows we saw in hitman 2 neil we saw splinter cell of course and mm-hmm. luigi's mansion being the best <laughs> basically a tech demo to show off the shadow engine but uh, but yeah i i thought it was really cool that the gamecube uh, could play this game way better that and it also ran at a higher frame rate than the ps2 it did try to yeah. it tried to maintain a 60 frames locked i mean it did go inconsistent at times but from my understanding uh the ps2 was not able to hold much of a of a solid performance no the ps2 average frame rate was 30 frames a second That's and you're right the gamecube did hold pretty close to 60 i believe mm-hmm. but the developers were given the enough resources to make a different version for the playstation 2 and the gamecube in order to harness the power of both consoles which is great mm-hmm. it's nuts how how much uh when when a developer is given money that they can actually develop proper cross-platform <laughs> games this yeah. is one of those rare examples where they're not just making a game kind of cater to the lowest common denominator of the consoles and then put the same version out on everything, which is what we saw with most cross-platform games in in this generation. But yeah, the GameCube is considered the better the better way to play. And what's nice too, on top of the developers being given the opportunity to develop for that specific console, they were also given access to the script and concept art for the film long before the movie came out. And that's yeah. not something that every developer can say who make movie tie-ins. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal for sure. It's pretty rare to have that because like we've talked about tons of movie tie-ins now and usually what happens is they're like, well, this is going to happen in the movie and maybe this and I don't know, go make a game now. (laughs) (laughs) That's often what ended up happening back in the day, which is why most movie tie-ins were terrible. So it was cool that this, you know, this isn't necessarily a movie tie-in. It's like a movie companion in a way, which I like a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made it more enjoyable for me. It was that I knew that whatever was happening in the game was canon. It was relevant to mm-hmm. that trilogy. You know, so like you said, I, I think it's more of a companion than anything else. And I appreciated that fact is that it, this way it didn't feel like just a side story, but rather that it was something that was uh, integral to the main story. Do you know if this game is still canon? I feel like that's something that we have to ask about everything from probably this generation. Not. Like, it probably isn't, but I guess that means that now Django Fett makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, I would think that this is canon only because of the fact that... It, I don't know. Like I said, I think I consider it more of a companion to the main story than a side story mm-hmm. because of yeah. certain elements you know, unfolded. Uh, but at the same time, Disney said that apparently there was no... There's no extra resources for them to work with in terms of creating characters or creating stories. So to them, they probably didn't even know this game existed. 
Honestly, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of where that's kind of where my mind's at with that one. They do not care about this at all, which is too bad because it is it is a fun game. It's different, but it's uh, it definitely is fun for if you can get past the thirty minutes where you don't have your um, your jetpack, <laughs> yeah. then like it, it is it is fun. The controls were a little janky. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a little janky. <laughs> yeah, they they're, they're you get used to it, but it's you know it's an old game. It's it's fine. I don't I don't. I don't try and um, harp on the controls too much in these older games unless they are like almost unplayable. Like mm-hmm. the Rebel Strike, we're going to talk about that in in a bit. But the controls for that on the ground are way worse yeah. than um, than than this one for sure. I would say. It, the other the other gripe I had with Bounty Hunter was actually not even so much the movement controls, the camera controls. I felt, yeah. I felt like that never felt smooth at all. And then, like, it never was centered with the character. It was always, like, at an angle. So it's like if you start moving the camera, all of a sudden, Django's on, like, either the left or right quadrant of your screen. And, like, I guess cinematically it looks okay. But mm-hmm. gameplay-wise, like, well, this just doesn't help any viewing perspective for me at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Between that 100%. and I thought, it was, I thought it was comical when you lock onto enemies and you jump. Uh, yes. The amount of, like aerodynamic that Django gets even before the jetpack is involved. He can jump at least 10 feet into the air. Like it's unhuman. I don't or know. What, I guess that maybe that that's why they chose him as the clone uh, DNA. This guy can jump straight legged 10 feet in the air over all of us. This is incredible. But yeah, I felt I felt the same way. Like the but the, you got to remember this is December of 2002. We're looking at like we're what 2 years still away from Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much the the like the pillar of like the first great third person shooter on console. Like, they basically made the, the formula for that that genre so we were still we still didn't quite know what to do with these games this is very close to a resident evil 4 like game but it's not quite there yet the camera angle is a little bit off my thing is always just like when you're in a shooting when you're in it playing a shooting game and the gun has zero recoil and like you just see Django just holding out his arms straight and he's <laughs> shooting and like his arms aren't moving at all like you shoot exactly where you want the bullets to go like I always just want like a little bit of kickback I know that they're blasters but even in the Star Wars movies you can tell those guns have some heft to them when they shoot again that's why they called them they figured damn he's dead on both after every time <laughs> he's got the best wrist genetics i've ever seen in my life <laughs> that that was a con for me for sure was the auto aim i wanted to bring that up yeah. with you because yeah it, it it's dumb because it, it either makes the game too easy or too hard i found you know you need to be close range to basically use it and it's stupidly easy to kill people when you're like close range but if you're not close range then you just end up randomly locking on to people who aren't even on screen i don't know if you found this too marcello but like i would like lock on to people who weren't even in my line of vision and I would get all messed up. I'm like, no, I want to kill the person in front of me. Like, come on. Yeah. The auto aiming, like you said, I think it's perfectly, I think you nailed it where it's like either it was too good or it was just like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and more so, yeah. I think it was more so in the last two chapters of the game where I started feeling it more because the difficulty starts ramping up dramatically in the last two chapters, specifically the last chapter itself to this day. I mean, I'm still surprised I beat that game with no cheats because I remember the last chapter being ridiculous. It's really hard. Like, uh, is that the is that the chapter where you're fighting that dark Jedi? Is there, or does that come beforehand? Uh, Kamari Vosa. Yeah. Yes, that's because she's the yeah yeah that's the final chapter. That's the final. Okay, yeah yeah. So well, for one, I do really like uh, her as like 
I love Dark Jedi storylines. We don't get enough of them. Correct. And it's always really interesting to me. And so that was really cool. But uh, yeah, that was an extremely hard fight. Mm-hmm. I had to I had to look up how to beat her, basically, which didn't really help. So I kind of just had to keep going through. <laughs> One thing for me that I wanted to talk about, just my last point here, and we talked a little bit about this with The Clone Wars. This being a movie tie-in game, it always bothers me when they don't bring back the original voice actors. And this one is the same as in Clone Wars. And just like watching like cutscenes and listening to Dooku, who's got an iconic voice with Christopher Lee. And this one, he sounds kind of like a budget severus snape i don't know how <laughs> sure, else to describe yeah. his voice but oh, yeah. uh, i'm not i don't think that the Django fett character is the actor from the movie and he's since reprised his role as bubba fett but they gave him like the same is he supposed to be australian or new zealand he's new, yeah he's actor? new zealand he's new uh, zealand. okay tamura morrison or whatever his name is yeah he's a new zealand actor okay yeah did that ever bother you guys back in the day playing this game outside of the movies so it actually he actually was Django fett in the game Oh, there okay. You go. Yeah, because just I, the side characters then. Okay. Yeah, it was the side characters because I remember they made a they tried to capitalize on the fact that look, it's it's his face, it's his voiceover. Like they made mm. sure that he was in that. Yeah, but overall, in other I like property based games, um, movies and shows and all that. Yes, that would bother me to no end when yeah. they never got an original like the original cast of those characters. Especially in the ones that they try to do movie tie-ins. Like, we talked about um, uh, the Attack of the Clones game already and how that was... That really could have just easily... You could have gotten them for uh, at least some dialogue, but, man, they... You can tell immediately. It's like, oh, these are not the right characters. And when it's a movie tie-in, it just hurts that much more when you don't have the the correct voice acting, especially Mm -hmm. in Star Wars, which people just know so well. You got Hayden Christensen to say some really weird stuff in those movies. I can't believe you couldn't get him into a voice booth and say 10 things for the, for the games that he had to be into. That's like, probably Jesus. why. They're probably like, you know what? Yeah. Forget it. Yeah, forget <laughs> it. We're good. You're good. We're good. You're cool. Else. <laughs> um, but what I, found, what I found fascinating, because um, this is something I'm going to be pointing out as well, is that Clone Wars, Jedi Knight 2, and Bounty Hunter all released within five weeks of each other. Yep. And absolutely insane that would never happen today like ever which but <laughs> what, a, what a cannibalization of your market like it's <laughs> so strange and all of these games are cross-platform games too like they all yeah. appear on different platforms and some of them are different games entirely like if you buy a game boy advance version of mm-hmm. of a lego game or a, a game boy a ds version of a game and the wii version of a game and the gamecube version they're all different so all of these developers are strapped to make basically five games across six different platforms it, it is a nightmare, and it does flood the market, like you said, Mike. Like, and no, you're never going to see five Star Wars games come out in this amount of time again. Like, it, it was nuts. Yeah, I mean, that's just gaming in general nowadays. You just don't see such a rampant, right. especially movie-based games. You're never going to see that level of no title or quantity of titles releasing, um, because nowadays it takes developers three, two to four years to make a game, depending on what scope they're going for. Well, I think what's even more interesting is the fact that like. This is all from the same publisher. Like we've seen this before, where we've had similar games coming out that are by you know maybe in the same franchise or in the same very similar genres, and it's by different publishers or different developers. This is all Lucas Arts. Like they are planning this. Like this is these are their games. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had different developers for every one, but yeah, they were like, all right, we got holiday season covered. We got not one, not two. We got three Star Wars games. So some of these have to sell by Christmas. <laughs> that's the issue too like like yeah it's a clone wars out jedi outcast and bounty hunter like you said that are all within weeks of each other and they're all 
um, you know, six and seven out of ten games, mm-hmm. which is is it's too bad. It's like why uh, why can't you just make one really good game? <laughs> yeah, make one make one ten and then give us like a multiplayer experience with Battlefront. Like that would have been perfect. But here we are. It, it, what I will say that I am actually impressed with is that I want to say that there wasn't a single bad Star Wars game, despite how many they released on the game. I felt like there was nothing that was ever broken. So I I, I have to commend them for that, that they still had this like level of quality to make sure that it was still at least a entertaining game at the end of the day, albeit not anything groundbreaking like Rogue Leader was, but like at least they made. I have to give them the credit where they at least made games that were enjoyable despite their faults. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point too. Like the fact that like, think of all the franchises we've talked about, Neil, like every time we talk about one, like think of Shrek recently, like (laughs) there's always, you know, there's maybe always the one good game and then the rest are bad or we'll have a couple of good games and at least one or two bad ones. Yeah. We have no bad Star Wars games on the GameCube and I'm, I'm very proud of that. And with that, Neil, I think it's time to read the back of the case for this game. All right. Sounds good. Let the hunt begin. You are Jango Fett, the most fearless bounty hunter in the galaxy, hired to capture a deranged dark Jedi armed with an array of deadly weapons and skills. You'll face off against galactic scum from the darkest corners of the Star Wars universe. For the galaxy's most wanted, there is no place to hide. It's funny that at this point, you you know, he says you're Jango Fett, the most fearless bounty hunter in the galaxy. You know he gets his head lopped off in the next movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so he's so fearless that so he goes fearless. up against Mace Windu uh, as as he's uh, wielding his lightsaber. <laughs> that movie was out. People knew he was dead. <laughs> oh, they might not have seen it. Who the knows? the most uh... fearless dead bounty hunter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyways, uh, uh, Marcello, uh, we'll let you use this time right now to plug everything that you've been working on of course you will be having basically the same episode out today yeah so um lately i just released a few more videos i released a video on easter about easter eggs on the gamecube i saw you guys did a podcast the same idea we're, we're usually the same wavelength with like yeah <laughs> you advantage. Like all video games you go with just the gamecube you're you're definitely the purest of us but, uh, yeah. <laughs> i appreciated that i do notice that you do a lot of the same stuff as us it's kind of cool we don't talk about that it just happens it just it does just i just laugh i see it my god it's hysterical <laughs> we're like both in the same wavelength of this stuff um and prior to that i did an episode that covered every gaming compilation for the gamecube which was definitely one of my bigger episodes to cover because there were a, a pretty surprising amount of game compilations for that generation for the GameCube. So that was actually a fascinating episode for me personally to put together. But um, like you guys said, uh, right now, actually today, I guess tonight, really, because you guys released your podcast in the morning. Um, so if you're listening to this tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I will be doing a live premiere of my every Star Wars GameCube game episode. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be the first live premiere video for the channel. I've never done one before, so I would, nice. you know, cool. if you guys want to check it out, please feel free to join in at 8 o'clock tonight. I will be in the chat, and I would love to just see everybody talk about their memories with these games or just what you guys think with even my intro that I put together, which may or may not get flack, but hey, that's <laughs> what it is. You know, it is what it is. Um, we'll definitely check it out. I like anytime somebody throws shade at Star Wars. I'm assuming that that's what you're talking about. So if you can say some <laughs> controversial opinions, I will appreciate it. And just to save you, since we do have listeners in several time zones, you said 8 p.m. Do you know off the top of your head which time zone that is? That will be Eastern time. Perfect. 8 p.m. Eastern time on 
May 4th, 2022. That's going to age great when someone listens to this a year later. <laughs> I know. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> the, video was, the video will still exist somewhere, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah it's going to scroll true. down for a bit. <laughs> we could be dead. It's like the year 2080, and we're just like, yeah, well. <laughs> Our voices live on. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Marcello, at GameCube Galaxy, for coming on today, sharing some of your thoughts and memories about these Star Wars games. And uh, yeah, we hope to talk to you again real soon. Well, thank you guys again for having me, as always. Always a good time. Cool. Take care, man. Take See care. Later. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Marcello at GameCube Galaxy, for coming on today. Again, sharing all his thoughts, his memories, uh, talking about Bounty Hunter. I was excited to talk about Bounty Hunter because that was one of the games that I knew about that I wanted to play, uh, and I just could never find it anywhere. So I was very happy to to get the chance to uh, to play it and then talk with him about the jetpacks and everything else in this game and the story. It's a great story, actually. Yeah, it is a really cool story, and it does explain, like, no joke, it explains Django Fett a little bit more, which we don't get a ton of in uh, in in Clone Wars. I'm sure that you get it more in the TV show. I don't remember now. Boba Fett does show up a couple times in that show, if I remember correctly, but not much. Uh, but it's nice to get some of those answers that typically exist in comic books and novels, and it's nice when they throw some of those those little, you know, hints on what's going on in the movies in the video games as well, which... We're seeing a little bit more of now, I think, but at the time, these were all just movie tie-ins, and that was it. There wasn't really any. It wasn't like it was a companion piece to the movie, so it was nice that we had this to to go on. And uh, really glad that we had Marcello to come on. I, I I would like to see. I would like to try either pick this game up or see another bounty hunter game come out and put more of a focus on some of the other bounty hunters in the star wars universe not just the bubba fett Django fett family there are so many others that you could focus on yeah like that uh that lizard guy you know in, that uh, Dengar or yeah Bosk, yeah, yeah. yeah in episode uh in episode five yeah. i even saw some people putting out uh these kind of fake gamecube covers of the mandalorian Mm. Uh, as oh, a GameCube cool. game, it was really cool. I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to post the the photo of it. It was uh, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like I would like that, but I don't want to see another Bubba looking fet Bubba Fett looking character in a video game. Like I want to see somebody different. Please. Yes. Yeah, that's true. All right, Mike. Let's move on to our last game of the day, which is Star Wars Rogue Squadron Three Rebel Strike, which was released on October fifteenth, two thousand and three. This game was developed by Factor Five, published by Lucas Arts. This is a GameCube exclusive. Price today between $25 to $35, depending on the condition and whatnot. Rates about a 7.5 out of 10, and this is an action-adventure game. Of course, a sequel to the beloved Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader that you and I both love. Uh, the only thing that they add to this game, of course, is that you can get out of the ship. That's right. This is, uh, think of the Star Fox Adventures version mm. of uh, <laughs> uh, of the, the Rogue Squadron series. Of course, Star Fox Adventures, you could get out of the ship after so many times or so many adventures that you had in the ship before, and it, that didn't go that well, and that's basically the same thing here. This game isn't great. It, it's good. There are a lot of good parts about it, but again, it's the vehicle parts that are the good parts, not anything outside of the cabin, which yeah. is, as we said earlier on the show, this is kind of like the, the big detriment of most Star Wars games. Mm -hmm. I th This game gets a little bit of a bad rap. Like, 7.5 out of 10 is good, but the way people talk about it, you would think you're... You're playing the worst Star Wars game ever made. Like, it's still better than most video games that come out to this yeah. day. Like, playing it this week to prepare for the podcast, I love this game. Like, it's really good. It It's not as good as Rogue Squadron 1 and 2. I will give you that. But it's not like this end of the series, like, that's the end of Factor 5, even though it basically was. Uh, it's it, it, And it ended the series, too, I suppose. But, like, 
buying it, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll add this to my collection. I want to get all the Star Wars games if I can. Might mm-hmm. as well buy this one. And I had played it a little bit at your house because you've owned this game for a while now. And, you know, popped it in and played a couple levels that I had never played before. And, like, yeah, the on-foot missions are kind of weak, but the flight missions are all very good. Like, it's all, it's still a very well-put-together game. It definitely gets a lot of hate that I, I don't think is super warranted. But I, I, I think back in the day, just after playing Rogue Squadron 2, it would have been would have been tough to go to this which is yeah. somewhat of a lesser version in some ways mm-hmm. but um yeah first of all the naming convention of these <laughs> games as we said is terrible yeah uh, rogues rebel strike rogue squadron 3 uh is yeah a little little strange and then i wanted to say i completely forgot this until i booted the game up uh this week to to play it once again the animation or i guess the i don't know what you would call it but the opening the for dance. factor five yes the dance <laughs> oh my god i completely forgot and it's got the uh the, the funk uh mix of the star wars theme which i absolutely love and it's got you know darth vader and luke and leia and everybody around the disco ball that's shaped like a death star <laughs> and they're all kind of you know <laughs> doing their little dance moves on the on the the checkerboard floor it's very BGS like Saturday Night Fever. It, it was yeah. it was strange. I don't know what that was all about. Was that like a reference to something? I don't know, but I I, I loved it. I was like, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> it goes on for a while. It's like a 30, 40 second thing uh, to open up, and then the dance floor eventually reveals to actually say Factor Five on it, and uh, it kind of blows up. But yeah, that was uh, that was something I completely forgot about. Uh, one thing I really do like about this game, though, and we've talked about this before, Neil, is that they use real cutscenes yes. from the movies, uh, mm-hmm. and not just on like for the the cutscenes in between the battles, but even in the main menu and stuff like that. I, yeah. I thought that was a really nice touch to bring me even more into this world because, of course, uh, Rebel Strike is actually all three movies kind of combined, where Rogue Squadron and Rogue Squadron Two were mostly between episode four and five and then i believe around right after episode five uh i think was rogue squadron 2 i forget the timeline for those uh rogue squadron 2 you do play a hoth level if i remember correctly so it, it, it jumps they jump around a lot but they add new missions and they they go back to missions from the movies so it, it's it's a mix and the story of these games like it, it's hard to remember which level was from which game and yeah. between which movies but yeah it, they're they're there are missions between four, five, and six. I think there might be one in this game after six, but don't quote me on that. I've never beat this game. It's hard. Uh, it's just like the other games. They're all rather difficult by about halfway through. You start to get kind of angry at yourself. <laughs> I got stuck in a level last night. I died twice, and I was like, all right, that's probably enough gameplay for, for the podcast yep. preparation. I get it. I like this game. I'm never I'm never going to say that you shouldn't pick this game up. Like I support it. I think you should uh play this game uh it's a ton of fun and uh i wish that they would go back to this uh this franchise at some point in in the near future what i one thing i didn't know about this game though between rogue leader and uh rebel strike is that they scrapped the uh the code the engine for the old game they basically wanted to uh reinvent the wheel uh they they knew that they they knew that they could harness the gamecube's power really well so they i don't know what their thinking was but they thought that (laughs) they wanted to i guess do something better by completely starting new new with a new engine and new new coding for the game and they ran into a lot of glitches and everything and it, and it didn't work out well i'm sure that they had to scrap a lot of ideas which is just too bad and factor five is a bit of like a a rise and fall a bit like anakin skywalker almost like a fall mm-hmm. from grace <laughs> they were on top of the world with the gamecube uh, generation with their star wars games and then they came out with this one which was not 
super well received. And then in 2007, I believe it was, they put out uh, the PS3 exclusive Lair, which is considered one of like the worst PS3 games. It's like the Superman 64 of PS3. People point to that game as an early PS3 failure, um, yes. an exclusive game. And the studio was then shut down in 2009. So six years after uh, Rebel Strike, they, they are no more. So I'm sure that a lot of those developers, though, are still kicking around the gaming industry. They could probably put together a small studio to give us some kind of a flight sim game if they can't get the Star Wars license. I would kill for anything from these guys again. I know, right? And, you know, you said Layer came out uh, in 2007, so that's four years yeah. between their games. Like, they were making Layer for four years? I don't know. It's uh, That's pretty crazy and definitely doesn't bode well for the, the studio. Mm. And, of course, yeah, they did shut down after that. So this is their last Star Wars game, uh, which is too bad. I think one way to think of this game, though, is this is more like Rogue Leader Special Edition mm, Yes, uh, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and specifically because of one mode. I didn't know about this, Neil, but there is a two-player split-screen multiplayer in this game. Uh, did you know about this? I did. Two-player split-screen multiplayer of Rogue Squadron 2. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, of Rogue Leader. I, cu- I couldn't uh, I couldn't believe that. I was like, what? Why? Uh, this I know. is so strange. It's the entire, basically, campaign that you play in Rogue Leader in Rogue Squadron 2, uh, and you play it in this game in Rebel Strike, but yep. you play it multiplayer. But the weird thing is, is that you can't co-op the actual Rebel Strike missions. Yeah, it, it's basically like you're getting a an exclusive version of Rogue Squadron 2 plus some extra missions that you can play by yourself. It's very weird. Once they added that in, it, it really kind of muddled what the heck this game was supposed to be. Like, is it its own game? Is it an expansion of Rogue Squadron 2? That's basically what it ended up becoming. And yeah. that little tidbit about Rogue Squadron 2 being in the game is hidden on the back of the case. Like, it's the bottom right corner. It's very small. There's a little box of Rogue Leader on the bottom, like oh, a yeah, picture of there the... it is. Yeah, there it is. It's a special <laughs> feature, two-player cooperative version of Rogue Leader game included on Rebel Strike Disc. Uh, and it's just hidden there. Like, if you if you were just scanning this box, you would miss it completely. And I guess they didn't want it to be the only selling feature. But I didn't know about that either until this week because I only bought this game earlier this year. And I haven't had a chance to play the multiplayer yet. I've only jumped into the campaign. And it, there is a co-op option in that menu there with the the live action scenes from the movies which is really cool there's Mm -hmm. also two other star wars games featured in this game mike there's the star wars arcade game uh in rebel strike there's the wireframe atari titles star wars and empire strikes back which are fully emulated atari games from the 80s oh that's why there's atari logos yes Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. because I was looking, I had the case, of course, here, and I was looking at the back, and there was a bunch of Atari-like things and copyrights, and I was like, why Why are there all these uh, Atari mentions here? Atari didn't make this game. <laughs> no, no, they had nothing to do with it, but this is a secret compilation Star Wars game that if you were just wow. looking at it on the shelf, you would think, oh, it's the... It's the butt of all Star Wars jokes from the GameCube generation. It's the Rebel Strike, the one where Rogue Squadron went downhill. But first of all, no, it's a very good campaign. And second mm-hmm. of all, you've got Rogue Squadron 2 co-op mode and these two Atari games, which don't age super well. You're not going to get a ton of replayability from them, but it's a reason to pick the game up. And like, I don't own any Atari consoles, so it's the only way I can experience them. It's really neat. And there's even some Game Boy Advance uh, compatibility here, too. You can use the Game Boy Advance as a second screen experience to command your squad, which has always been a fun thing for me in these games. I love giving my, my squad a, 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 an action right when the level starts, like either, you know, go take care of those ties or take out those guns or leave. It's really fun. To, <laughs> that, that's that's the real challenge is if you tell your, your crew to leave and then you're on your own. That's like the ultimate challenge in the level. 
yeah no <laughs> for sure but i i think of this this uh game as well almost like the phantom menace of games mm. you know what i mean okay. it's the, the the parts i love i love like i love a lot every time i get to fly the x-wing you know with the team is so much fun like you said, yeah. it's it's definitely the best parts of the about the game. But then the parts I don't like, you know, I really have to slog through it. Like the getting out of your, yeah. um, get, getting out of the, uh, the X wing and walking around and the controls for that. My God, that does not age well. Like the controls for flying age perfectly, but as soon as you get out for whatever reason, it was like they didn't know how to program. Mm-hmm. Uh, what like how do people walk? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very rubbery kind of game. Like it yeah. feels like you're controlling Gumby. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. the 80s character that two people listening will understand, but that's really what I got. Like, it's it's a weird 3D... Octodad simulator. Octodad, exactly. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like, yeah, like, controlling uh, Wedge or Luke or whoever it is that you're playing as, you know, shooting Stormtroopers, it, it doesn't it, it, it doesn't age very well. You're right. The controls are weird. It feels like that you're controlling the characters, like, from the hip. That's, like, the yeah. best way I can describe it. Like, that's you're not, a good way to describe it. Yeah, like, like, Resident Evil 4, you really feel like that you're controlling Leon by the shoulders, which you are. In this game, you feel like you're being pulled by the belt. It's really strange. <laughs> that's um, how we shoot, right? We shoot yeah, just right down you there. shoot from the hip, yeah, just like, just like Han Solo. Um, but one thing that I did actually like was the, the death animations of the Stormtroopers. I thought, like, them falling over when they get shot was actually pretty good. Um, they, yeah, they don't yeah just, those were pretty good. They don't just like fall to the ground or disappear or just fly back. They they actually do have like fairly, I don't know if it was AI controlled or not, but their their death animations were actually pretty good. Kind of like a light ragdoll physics to them, but not quite that exaggerated. It it felt like that there was like some weight to them when they died, which which is cool. But yeah, the on, the on foot missions are a bit of a slog. You you really are just playing through them to get to the next flight mission or even the uh, the ATST missions, which I really like. The playing in the chicken walkers that that's yes. usually a pretty fun fun level for me it's it's irritating trying to navigate them through a tight space but you still feel really powerful walking in an atst and like everyone's running away from you and you're just shooting them down that's a fun that's a fun level i also am not a fan of the hud for this game okay uh when i when i was the hud for when you're flying is actually okay but the hud for when you're walking around is very muddy and there's just a lot going on Mm. and i think that's because like when you're flying you're expecting to see things in all corners kind of you know you're in a cockpit right so it's that's it feels like you're more part of the action but um but when you are walking around and you see a ton of stuff on on screen of course because this is one of these games early early ish gamecube we have the controller uh we have the a and b on the on the right side of the screen at all times which i hate yeah i i, I know what a and b is it's fine i don't i don't need to see this constantly yeah I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. I, I guess I just didn't really play too many of those on foot missions. Luckily, they aren't. I don't think it's an equal number. It's definitely less, which which helps. But like a 65, 35 kind of. Yeah, something like that. So that definitely helps. But they, they maintain most of the same uh, UX or UI of the original game when you're flying. Like the, yeah, the map that, feels the same. The directional D-pad in the corner felt the same. That only appears when you actually hit the D-pad, uh, which helps. It goes away when you're not using it, which I appreciate. Um, but other than that, it's very uncluttered and all of the missions look beautiful. Like the planets look cool. The ships that you're fighting against look good. The range of vision is all great. So if you like the first two games, honestly, I don't know what you're waiting for. You should definitely pick up Rogue Squadron 3. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it was funny because I was thinking to myself, I was like, like, I wonder why they went with this on foot, um, like went with these on foot missions. Was it because of Battlefront? Did this put them, push them towards that? No, because Battlefront came out after Rebel Strike. Battlefront, the first one came out in 2004, and this came out in 2003. Did Battlefront come out that late? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I did not know that. So what were they... I guess that they were just 
trying to do the adventures thing like they yep yeah. like like Star Fox like super monkey ball <laughs> before it you know this was yeah. the time like the, honestly though yeah. that was I think the big thing to to make something different for one because they had made two games that were very similar beforehand and they probably wanted to try different things which I I definitely agree with trying to shake things up but also because yeah adventure modes was that was the, the thing to do back then yeah but this was a key example of trying to reinvent the wheel when you really didn't need to like i said i would love if every nintendo console had a rogue squadron game to it like this would this yeah. is probably the one like nintendo quote-unquote exclusive that was really neat uh for the n64 and gamecube and then it stopped in the wii era and of course the wii u and the switch probably won't get an exclusive rogue squadron game but this is one of the ones that like would be neat if we still had these to this day to have because like you said at the beginning of the episode like by the time we got to wii u the only star wars game on that console is lego star wars the force awakens which we all bought which we all bought and loved but uh <laughs> mike i do have to say though looking at the ratings for this game i was disheartened by nintendo life and we know kate gray friend of the show been on our podcast a couple times now nintendo life mm -hmm. gave this game five out of ten so kate if you're listening i'm sure that you can go back and fix that your boss won't notice give it at least a seven please yeah, give it at least a seven. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo Life actually did a really good feature quite recently on every Star Wars game on Nintendo consoles ranked. That's how I got my list at the beginning oh, wow. of the uh, beginning of the episode. And Rebel Strike is, comes in at last for them at number twenty six uh, for GameCube games. Uh, I, of course, it's not last fully. I think uh, last was the Yoda game or something, yeah, the yeah. Game Boy Color games. It's way better than that, yeah. But uh, yeah, Rebel Strike was 26, Bounty Hunter was 24, Clone Wars was 21st, oh, right. Jedi Outcast was 18, and Rogue Squadron was number one. Okay, that's fair. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it's hard. Or Rogue, Rogue Squadron 2, I should say. Rogue Sorry. Squadron number one. Yeah, I can, I can see that. that. That's a tough list since I haven't played them all. I have to look at their list and see if I agree or not, but uh, yeah. I'll do that another <laughs> time. Mike, in the meantime, why don't we hit the back of the case for Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike? Sounds good, Neil, and I have the case right here. Do you mind if I read it? Yes, please. Go right ahead. All right. Strike against the evil empire. Battle your way through the classic Star Wars trilogy in cinematically real and intense arcade action. You are the Rebellion's last hope. The legendary Rogue Squadron returns with more ways to play than ever before. Climb out of your cockpit and battle the Empire on foot as Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and other classic Star Wars heroes. Save the Rebellion from Imperial troopers while riding speeder bikes, tauntauns, and more. Multiplayer gaming includes Rampage, Tag and Defend as well as challenging dogfights. And of course, yes, in very small print at the bottom here, special feature, two-player cooperative version of Rogue Leader game included on Rebel Strike Disc. On the back of this case, it has a screenshot from uh, Return of the Jedi of one of the speeder bike stormtroopers on his bike. That's one of the coolest costumes in all of Star Wars. It is. I, we don't see it enough, but I love that. Just, I love that uh, that speeder costume yeah, for sure. Just the one movie. Maybe it's shown up in The Mandalorian. I can't remember now, but that is so iconic of them flying through the uh the forest on endor which is of course in california actually but still really neat really neat uh visuals i also have the manual here which actually has a whole bunch of uh things i can buy from uh oh. factor five it includes <laughs> gladius their other game that they they made which was not uh uh which was not a star wars game of course which is like a kind of 300 gladiator style game we talked about this on the m-rated games i think because it was yep. super uh bloody <laughs> uh and of course they have rogue leader here that i can buy uh and we have the star wars rogue squadron 3 uh strategy guide mm. rebel strike retro t which you can send in a uh your address and uh, and get it mailed to you for oh, a t-shirt okay 
a t-shirt yes uh for 18.95 uh medium to extra large and we have a LucasArts blue cap you can buy for $16.95, Neil. I wonder how much that stuff goes for on eBay. I would love to suss that out and see how many people bought it because stuff doesn't exist anymore. That's for sure. Well, I'm going to call uh, 888-532-4263. Uh, <laughs> operators are, are available standing Monday by. to Friday, <laughs> Pacific <laughs> Standard Time, standing by. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, were you, well you're calling the, uh, the helpline for Factor 5's uh, gift shop, if that still exists anymore. <laughs> Let's move on to our closing thoughts of the Star Wars games on the GameCube. So, Mike, from the list of games that we've talked about today, are there any that you recommend the folks out there pick up, or are there any that you are on the lookout for now? Well, I'm always on the lookout for these games because some of them are hard to find, like you've already said. I still want to buy Outcast for sure on uh, on the GameCube because I love that cover as well. And uh, I do want to play the original version. I do have it on Switch now, but still, it would be cool to own that. Bounty Hunter, especially hard, as we said, to find. I never see that game, but I would love to buy that. And uh, and yeah, honestly, like I would be down to buy all these games. To recommend to to listeners out there, though, I'd say I'd say your best bet would probably be Rebel Strike if you don't already own Rogue Squadron 2. I'd say definitely buy Rogue Squadron 2 if you can find it because mm-hmm. that's a fantastic game. But Rebel Strike is a pretty good successor to it. And I think if you're a Star Wars fan, you'll really enjoy playing through it. And other than that, maybe Clone Wars. But honestly, the rest of the things that you should buy if you own a Switch, buy KOTOR on the Switch, uh, buy the Skyward... Uh, uh, Buy, I was gonna say Skyward Sword. Nope, don't buy that. <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy the Skywalker Saga on on Switch, or even the original trilogy slash the complete saga. Uh, the complete saga is amazing for Lego Star Wars. Such a good time. So I think of these games, my number one would pick would probably be Rebel Strike. Rebel Strike is my choice too. That's the best of the bunch that we've talked about. Not the best Star Wars game on the GameCube, of course. We didn't talk about Rogue Squadron 2 too much today. That is the game to pick up for sure. Rebel Strike is not as bad as people say. It's just those on-foot missions really. But once you get through those, you have Rogue Squadron 2 in co-op and you have some Atari games thrown in there and some really good original flight-based simulation games, levels, which are very fun to play. So definitely Rebel Strike is my choice as well. A game that I'm looking for now, I don't know, like the Jedi Academy games, like uh, the GameCube version, I might look into picking up someday, but I'll, I, it's just, it just will bother me that I can't play one or three without picking up a different yeah. console. So I'd be more tempted to pick those up on Switch now. Like, I don't know if any of these games are really standing out to me in terms of adding to my GameCube collection, perhaps one of the Lego games someday, but the Lego games, I'm not a huge fan of really to play them by myself they're just too easy to play single player for me but if i'm looking for a multiplayer experience to play on gamecube that's probably where i would lean Mm -hmm. uh but uh i highly recommend the folks out there for talking about ports on the switch which star wars games seem to be coming a plenty the pod racing game is my my choice by far i absolutely adore that game it's beautiful on switch it's just how i remember it it's a perfect it's a widescreen experience it's basically an hd n64 game it's what i want nintendo to do with their n64 games but they aren't with their service they're just putting them in standard def which is bothering the crap out of me this (laughs) this isn't honestly like a very worthy port and worth any money that it's worth right now probably 10 to 15 bucks if i had to guess but i doubt that we'll see another pod racing game come out at least a new one i would be blown away if we do but mike are are any of these franchises sticking out to you as one that we may see again on the in the future on nintendo hardware yeah well i mean well we just got lego star wars so that's uh (laughs) that's one of the few times we've actually been able to like you know see a new game come out for uh from some of the games that we talked about on the podcast the most of most time we're like just 
thinking that one of these might come out in the future. So we do have the Skywalker Saga, of course, but I could definitely see a Rogue Squadron trilogy coming out in the future. That I would not be surprised at at all. Uh, I could see that coming out maybe in the next, you know, couple years. Uh, that wouldn't be surprising to me. And I, I, I could see, um, I could see Lucas Arts or Lucas Games, whatever they call themselves now, getting together and and putting out just maybe a trilogy, a uh, lightly remastered. Who knows? But I, I would love that. Yeah, I would love a trilogy to come out and then a, a fourth one. Honestly, I think that they need to go back to this well yeah. and and include some of the like we never saw a Rogue Squadron prequel game or the sequ- even the sequel trilogy. Honestly, like a sequel level from in the Rogue Squadron style, I'd be into it because it's it's you know even though we don't love those movies as much as I'm sure other people out there do, the sequel trilogy. Like I would I would dig a, a Rogue Squadron game based on seven, eight, and nine. It'd be totally fine. I love the space battles from those movies. They're still really good. I love the locales, yeah. right? Like that, that that's so what cool. you really need to use is like the environments. Yes, and even like you can even throw in Rogue One and, and Solo even. Like all of the locales in Star Wars movies are almost always cool. Yeah. Um, there's a few in episode two that I could do without, but uh, <laughs> like the prequels are all good too. Like Tatooine is neat, Naboo. You could fight so many different levels uh, flying around. It'd be so neat. So I would love to see Rogue Squadron come back. Will we? It's a long shot. I was really honestly disappointed when force unleashed came out earlier this year on switch and you find out that it was like the Wii port and i've seen yeah. only negative reviews about it or at least lackluster reviews it's not what people wanted i don't know what people were expecting but it doesn't give me high hopes for any of these games to come back with a great port unfortunately i think rogue squadron has the most chance because it was a, an exclusive on gamecube so we'll have to wait and see but uh, what I actually think we'll see on Nintendo hardware going forward, we'll continue to see the Lego games, as you just said, but mm-hmm. it would be really strange now to see some even cross-platform games coming out on Switch or Switch-exclusive Star Wars games. I feel like that era is just gone, despite the fact that the Switch has sold super well. Yeah, there is zero chance, I would say, we get a exclusive Star Wars game. I mean, in a way, we've gotten exclusive Star Wars games with some of these these old N64 ports. True. But uh, but yeah, no, we will not see a new Switch exclusive Star Wars game. That is, I can, uh, I, I can almost certify that as being <laughs> there's no way that that will happen. But yeah, I think Rogue Squadron could come back in a way. I don't think we'll get a new game. I would love one, but I think a trilogy is definitely in the works in some sort. I'm sure a trilogy is in the works, Mike, and a new movie trilogy, I'm sure, is in the works. But while we're waiting patiently to uh, to see what Disney does next with the Star Wars movies, we'll uh, be enjoying Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. But why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 96 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. Neil, I think we're done. I don't think there's any more... I think that's it. I think Star Wars is the last thing to ever talk about. Finally. Well, this was our longest episode, so it makes sense that this <laughs> this would be our swan song episode. <laughs> well, after our swan song and our brief retirement, we're coming back, Neil, with episode 96 Ooh. on the GameCube is Cool podcast. And that's going to be all about just a bunch of futuristic shooters, I'd call them. We got Turok. We got... Uh, freedom fighters we have blowout we have a a bunch of these games that uh we've played a little bit in the past and we have a friend of the show on to come on and talk about red faction 2 as well and um, share their memories so yeah it'll be it'll be a good time neil yeah. Shorter than this one. Oh yeah, oh much shorter. I don't I don't think we're gonna do another three hour episode for a long time, but uh yeah, I'm excited to talk about some other shooters on the console other than James Bond. They did exist. Uh mainly games that like people had fond memories of renting. And I really like talking to people about like, oh, this was a game that I bought for really cheap at some sale at some random store, or this is one that I rented mm-hmm. one weekend at a blockbuster and we played it in one night. Those are the kind of memories that I love to talk to people about. So I'm really excited to talk to you and our friends about it who join us on the show. Uh, but listeners, don't forget, please, to 
But listeners, please don't forget, we are coming very close to our 100th episode, so please send us your top 30 Nintendo published or developed games. We are trying to comprise a list of the GameCube was cool top 100 Nintendo games of all time, and of course we need your help. So please send us a DM on any social media platform that you want. We're also on Discord. Just send us your top 30 favorite games and we will insert them into the list, and we're excited to read those on episode 100. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 95 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everybody over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search The GameCube Was Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Harrison Ford we say hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. I love you. I know. (laughs) Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Uh, I just love how much Harrison Ford hates Star Wars. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my freaking favorite, dude. I just want to interview him someday so I could just... It's so good. Uh, What's Han Solo's favorite color? (laughs) Harrison Ford responds, I wish George Lucas would die.